I also I'm taking it a little bit easy on you because you've just been to see Fantastic Four, and I figure it's it's good to keep you away from, you know, sharp objects or or like loud noises for a while. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let us talk. Let us talk. Oh, are, are we are we going straight into the Should, movie? Shouldn't we? I mean, it's such a beautiful segue, but I can totally talk about other stuff before. Oh we no, let's 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 just go straight into the movie. But I'm going to pause right here to say. That'll be the cold open, and now I'll put the theme music. Ah. Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building episode number eight. This is a series where Jeff and I are reading through Marvel's Fantastic Four comic. Volume one, from issue one all the way through to issue 414 when it stops. Because... Jim Lee wanted to do it instead. Uh, we are currently in the midst of the Stanley Jerk Kirby phase. We have been through some great stuff, and spoilers, we're heading into some not great stuff in this episode. But that's okay, because we're also going to be talking about the Fantastic Four movie. Oh my so goodness. So the Green Kirby stuff will seem great in comparison. <laughs> my name is Graham McMillan. I am one of your two hosts. And with me, as always, is the man who always forgets to say his name when I do this. So I'm setting him up. It's... Wait, is that me? Okay, I thought you were going to do it. No. Sorry. Sorry. It's Jeff Lester, everybody. Hello. (laughs) I'm glad you thought that was funny. I was just like, well, I can't, I can't really deliver now. I'm just oh, going yeah. to, yeah. So, uh, so okay, let's talk about the movie. Yes, uh, I went to see the movie on Monday night. Jeff and I, listeners, we should explain, had an email conversation on Monday, which was the most wonderfully passive progressive. Should we go and see the movie? It's shit. Should we really go and see the movie? I, I don't, I don't want to be the one to say we should go and see the movie. What do you think? Oh, I don't want to be the one to say we should go and see the movie. And then I let it slip. But the movie's playing in the movie theater literally four blocks from my house. Yes. And it's not a full price. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff pretty much was like, why the fuck would you not go and see the movie? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, and so I did. I went and see the movie on Monday night. I was stunned that other people were there. Wow. I mean... I honestly expected I would go to be the only person in the theatre. Mm-hmm. And I was not. So that that's a plus, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I have to tell you that my favourite thing was leaving the theatre. That sounds like it's a comment on the quality of the film, which it's not, although the film deserves it. But I'm leaving the theatre and almost everyone who was there besides me was a father and his children. Interesting. Oh, wow. Not a, not a mother and her children. Ooh. Not a father and a mother, but a father and his children. Ooh. I, there was like me, maybe like another couple of people on their own, Jeez. and a couple who were out for a date who I swear to God did not give a shit about the film. Right. Like they clearly were just like, is this a dark space? Right. That's great. <laughs> um, so I'm leaving, and the, this father's there, and he's two kids, and his two kids are. Eh, like five or six 
Uh, and the dad is doing the traditional, I'm going to pretend to be amped up. And he's like, what do you guys think? And the two kids look back at him and they're like, that was lame. <laughs> and I thought, yes, that's exactly right. That, you, you've said it all. And that was, you know, he was like, what about Dr. Doom? And they were like, that wasn't Dr. Doom. These kids were great. We should have just brought these kids in. Oh, seriously, yeah. But I'll say this. I don't think it's the worst superhero film ever, which some people seem to think it is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's bad in such a way that is almost inexplicable. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of fascinating as a result. Yeah. Oh, I mean... First of all, you you've literally just seen it, right? Yes. You, yeah, we we came from the theater. Yeah, back to do the podcast. That's that's pretty much right. A brief break here, where I like scrambled to take notes on the, on the episodes that uh, issues that we're discussing, um, but but overall, yeah, pr- about as fresh as you can get from the theater, and sort of like the same way of like, boy, I wish that I you know we could like put the two kids on the podcast. Um, I kind of have this thing of. I wish that I could have recorded Edie. Unfortunately, I was driving, driving to the movie theater, having her basically tell me what she knows about the Fantastic Four, which was <laughs> hilarious, and then having her talk about the movie afterward. Um, uh, I I will say, and I will say this: one of the things that I find really fascinating is. Um, I thought, like, Graham, you you might recall, like, a few weeks back, and I apologize for those podcast listeners who only listen to Baxter Building. This this is a reference to our Wait What podcast. I was talking about the Ant-Man movie, and I was saying it's a good film for what it is, and Graham was like, it sounds like you really didn't like it, and you're trying to think of good things to say about it. No. Because because Fantastic Four is not a good film for what it is. Exactly. It is, in fact, a pretty wretched film for what it is. But um, here's, here's why I'm fascinated by Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. It's really clear that major chunks of that movie are missing. Oh. I ma- mean, it's staggeringly clear that major chunks of that movie have just been taken out. Yes, yes. And I mean, I suppose, listeners, this will not come as a surprise for you, but... Graham and I are full contact spoiler types, so we're going to be talking about the movie from... Oh, yeah, yeah. If you, for some reason, have not seen the film... Yeah. ...want to see the film... Yes. uh, ...and are concerned that we might ruin the plot, we are going to ruin the plot. Yeah, yeah. Just pause or go to uh, waitwhatpodcast.com and look at the show notes and and figure out where to jump ahead to because, yeah, we will be talking about Yeah, we'll put a specific time for when we return to the issues. Yeah, exactly. But but we're going to talk about the movie and we're going to talk about... Because there's no way to talk about the problems of the movie without talking about the plot. Yes, in depth. And and so for me, I have to say, uh, Edie was from about like 45 seconds in monstrously bored for reasons that, that <laughs> I, I can, that I'll go into. Whereas interestingly enough, I would have to say that although 
I was pretty aware that it wasn't a good movie. I found it a really deeply interesting, oh, this, I could see how this maybe could have kind of worked. Oh, here's two or three things that are actually kind of interesting that are so far from the spirit of at least the later Fantastic Four comics. I can see where Fox lost their nerve. And then that amazing sequence where everyone follows Doctor Doom back to the negative planet or planet zero. Planet Zero. And it's, it's not the negative zone, you guys. For reasons that are inexplicable, not. isn't it? It's definitely like, not the negative. Oh, my there's, God. There's so much about this film that's inexplicable. Yeah. And part of it is I don't understand that aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. And part of it is it's literally just inexplicable. For example, what was Dr. Doom actually – what was his motivation at uh, the end of the film? Uh, well, see, and this matter, is the thing. How, how did he stay alive for that year? Well, what, he, what was he trying? Like, it's amazing to have a movie in this day and age when you've had so many superhero movies to basically show you how we do this. Yes. That forgets about his villain for so long. Mm-hmm. That when it brings him back, gives him absolutely zero motivation. Apart from going, he's evil. Yes. Well, no, but see, this is the thing. I kind of, okay, this, this, is, where, this is where we'll have much spirited debate. Because like I said, the first, once you get into the sequence, the final sequence on Planet Zero, where suddenly you have an action sequence that makes no sense, and you have Reed Richards hollering all the plot points, which I've seen other movies that have gotten heavily rewritten, and it seems to me that's always a big cue is when they have to have things happen and suddenly one of the characters seems to gain a ridiculous level of like almost divine knowledge and yes. has to start I, shouting I, I, what's I will going to happen. Why all this shit is happening. Yeah. Or or not even necessarily why, although that's part of it, but oh, merely well, this he doesn't. He just explains what is happening. And even then it's still nonsensical. Yeah. It's like, here's what's happening. Here's what we have to do. But there is no real sense of why it's happening. There's no sense of how he knows it. And and all the senses of what they're supposed to do is, again, because part of the reason why he is hollering it to the audience is it is not intuitive. It makes no sense at all and is literally just being shouted at you in the, sh- the shape of being convinced. Now... There's there's a whole bunch of shit, huge, huge amounts of things wrong with the first, what, two-thirds, three-quarters of the Fantastic Four. But what I'm fascinated by is how much that last quarter is very clearly, to me, reshoots and an attempt to turn the movie into something that the first two-thirds, three-quarters of it was is not. Was not interested in. Yeah. yeah whatsoever. At so all. I don't know if you saw, and I'm going to guess that you probably didn't, but mm-hmm. The Hollywood Reporter did this, basically, what the fuck happened to Fantastic Four. Ooh, sir. no, I would love to have seen that. And I'll, I'll put links to this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But in that story, it basically says the last third of the movie mm-hmm. is reshoots. Yeah. And is not only reshoots, reshoots after Josh Trank has been removed from the project. It, it told you. Can and, and so yeah. lots of people have been brought in, mm-hmm. uh, including fascinating. They were like uh, Drew Goddard was brought in to mm. script, Wouldn't and I was like, me. really? Because none of the dialogue has any Drew Goddard in it that I can see. Uh-huh. Like Drew Goddard, I generally think is a bit more savvy, yeah, uh, in terms of making things a bit a funnier, but b less on the nose. Oh yeah, 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 right. But yeah, it's it's very much like the last third, like is is just completely constructed after the fact. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But it suggests that that's because there was no end to the film. Well, <laughs> like there was no end. And part of me, yeah. I think there is maybe three different films in Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Which could have been extended into more interesting films. Yes, right. I would have, I don't think they're particularly good actors, I would, have, but I would have liked to have seen more of young Reed and Ben. Mm-hmm. And gotten an idea of why they were friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, oh, and also I have to say, Miles Teller, like cutting from that to Miles Teller supposedly in his final year of high school, many films have done actors who are too old to yes. play teenagers before. No film does it quite as much as Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah. Because the realization I had when he was in, like, that's where I was like, oh, wait, that's his final year of high school science fair? Oh. Because Miles Taylor's 28 years old, you guys. Yes, and he really does look at one of the things yes, that I think is this amazing choice. I, this was actually, like, Edie basically held on through the young Reed and Ben sequence. But the instant they flashed forward, just supposedly five or seven years, and they're in their senior year of high school, she was deeply confused. Because, of course, she's like, those characters are mid-20s. I don't understand. Are they, is this really supposed to be their... Seven years later, they yeah. go from kids to these like late twenties actors. Late twenties actors. Seven. Kate Mara is thirty-two years old. You know. Can we talk about the fact that it uh, the past sequences where the the, the characters kids are in two thousand seven and how old that made me feel? Yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> I mean, really, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. But yeah. So it cuts to them as teenagers, except they're clearly not, and yeah. it's like that is step one in terrible ideas. But even then. Reed then gets taken into the Baxter Foundation, mm-hmm. which is a hothouse for geniuses. Right. Right? Yeah. I would have watched that film. Mm-hmm. 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 And in fact, I kind of liked at that point, even though there was so much that was still wrong with film, but I kind of liked at that point, and even through the origin, there is still a notion of they're explorers and this is an accident. Yes. Which is which is very important to Fantastic Four. Yeah. Uh, I did not like, for example... Sue isn't with them on the mission at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was horrible, wasn't it? Like, I, I don't, I don't even understand that plot point. Yeah. Like, I, you know, there's things that you that are inexplicable, but you can forgive. For example, he calls Ben in. Yeah. To go on the mission with them, and everyone else is like, "That's okay, because you're his lucky charm." Absolutely nonsensical, but you need Ben there. He's one of the team. Right. But you leave Sue out. Yeah. Like, why? And then you basically go, but she gets powers anyway, just because. Because there's a, a like, a force of energy. Yeah. Sure. Okay. She gets powers anyway, whatever. Like, why, why do you do that? Like, that, that's, that makes no sense. From, and then from there, it gets amazingly narratively choppy. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, look, there's body horror for maybe five minutes. Suddenly it's a year ahead and they're all working for the government. Apart from Reed, who's on the run. Except you never really see him on the run. Yeah. And he's building this other transporter. But you never really... That doesn't really come to anything either. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, yeah. Like, there's right. all the stuff that is that honestly feels... Like, I, uh, I came away from this thinking that uh, all the rumors about Josh Trank being out of his depth... We're probably true. The Hollywood Reporter definitely suggests that's what happened. Uh, one of the fascinating things that it says as well is that Trank was telling the the characters that he wanted it to be so grounded he didn't he wanted them to play everything flat. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's why it's such a humorless, like, because it's a very humorless, yeah. self-serious, flat film. All mm-hmm. the actors, with the exception of Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. who, who gets to play one emotion, angry. Right. Uh, all the co- other characters just don't. They're yeah. they're ciphers. They have they have no reaction to anything. Yeah, it it really is. Um, it's it's fascinating to me that because uh, I. Because I do think, although I could be, you know, highly mistaken, that, that you know, that Trank really, he had an idea for what he wanted to make that was tied very closely to uh, especially the first issue of the Fantastic Four in a lot of ways, but especially the feeling of discomfort and horror. Because, uh, well... I don't know. There's so many things going on, actually, uh, for me, in terms of my reaction. But I definitely think there's a strange... Again, Edie Edie was so thrown by the whole, like, fake teenagers in a fake school and then they're fake scientists. Like, like none of it really (laughs) felt real to her, you know? Well, none of it makes sense. Like, so, the Baxter Foundation isn't just a think tank. Mm -hmm. It's apparently beholden to mysterious money men who maybe are shady... Maybe not, because that's never really explained either. Like, yeah. what they're doing at all is never explained. The fact that they sell out to, they initially are going to sell out to NASA, mm-hmm. and then sell out to the military, and then they kind of become, not really war profiteers, but definitely profiteering off the misery of, of others and oh, trying yeah. to monetize right. it. Right. But, like, none of that goes anywhere. Well, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that, that struck me as amazingly uh, adolescent, because it was just this, like, Hey, they're suits. But of course they're dicks. They're suits, man. See, and then, but you know, but you can't. And then it's okay. like, oh, shiny thing. Okay, but I have to say, and I could be wrong here, is is that I think that you, at least for me, like on the one hand, that there's two ways to look at the movie as just an ungodly fucking mess, which it is. It's just a goddamn shit storm. Yeah, but, um, it's, but it's no, 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 wait, wait, Graham, let me get through this sentence here because <laughs> you're like, I got my point. And I'm like, I, I just want to point out or when you start. But when you start talking about it as Josh Trank's movie and then about the, the idea that these things, all these things that go nowhere, you can't we don't know for sure if they were supposed to where they were supposed to go because it's clear Fox stepped in and redid stuff. It is it is such a tonally different movie by the time they come back from Planet Zero and suddenly the, you know, the shadowy war profiteer organization is basically like, hey, we'll give you whatever you want. We're your friends, you know, and it's kind of like, yes, you better be or we shake our fists at you. You know, Trank is the, before you get to that point, really right up to the point where you get to Dr. Doom, part of the the horror movie feel to it is the idea that these are people who are trapped in a nightmare. They are trapped making, really, it's supposedly leading to a point where the FF are stuck between the bad choice of working for these war profiteers who have turned Ben Grimm into a killer and are slowly corrupting the rest of the FF and choosing between that and Dr. Doom who is sort of maybe like you said you're very rage against the machiney you know it seems to you his view of the world is but i'm kind of like doom's view of the world is actually kind of justified and yet he's totally an absolute monster so so there's a there 
it's supposed to be a real nightmare feel right, right up from the idea of, cause it's right out of a horror movie. The whole idea of like, Oh, let's get drunk and go for a swim. What can happen? You know? And then when they go to this planet and it fucks up everyone's shit, you know, Edie was like, what in the, who, I know they're supposed to be drunk, but no scientist ever in the face of ever is supposed to do that, you know, would well, ever do that. And yet I feel that one of the ideas going on with, with the Trank is trying to make a case for is that it's, it's kind of, uh, it, you know, it is this horror movie. It's this horror movie in which honestly, I think, although I could be wrong, it's very much about adulthood which is unfortunate because i think one of the things is if he hadn't cast a bunch of he cast a bunch of i think a relatively really good cast and then had to continue to make them teenagers which seems stupid and i think his only choice behind that is very much that idea of you know when you're a teenager you know your body gets strange and basically you're forced into sort of what kind of shit sandwich do you want to eat? You know, do you want to eat the regular flavored working for the man shit where you end up being slowly corrupted from your soul? Or do you end up with the even worse, here's what a lunatic is telling you they're going to do. And it turns out that they have an insane God complex, you know, who knows what was on the other end of that third act. I mean, I, you would like to think that it, it, it seemed to point to the idea that in that one year away, Miles Teller slash Reed Richards is constructing, you know, his own deus ex machina that is going to offer the third path out of there. But that is so clearly not where Fox wanted to go, where like it tested in a way that everyone was just like, this is, you know, pants shittingly horrible that they were literally like, let's go and do a final third that completely ignores all the stuff that was shot. Cause we literally can't pour a dollar more into the budget than we have to, you know, so we can't reshoot this earlier stuff and let's come up with a new solution that completely betrays what was happening in the first two thirds, three quarters of the film. Right. I, I, at least for me. I think you're being... Overly uh, generous Mark, again? I think you're being really generous to Trank's vision. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I'm not sure it's anywhere near as coherent as you think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it involves some misreading of what's left in the film. Mm -hmm. But everything you're saying sounds like a better film than what we get. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. Sure. Um... One of the things I do wonder is how much of that year jump would have actually existed in Trank's vision. Because yeah. I think we wouldn't have jumped ahead a year. Mm -hmm. I think we would have seen a lot more of that, as evidenced by the fact that in the trailers, there's a lot of footage that isn't in the movie, mm -hmm. including an entire action sequence with the thing where mm -hmm. you see him getting dropped out of a plane, yes. landing on the ground and getting shot at. So yeah. I think we would have seen some of his action, mm -hmm. that, some of that... Uh, some of his missions. Yes. So I'm I'm super curious where Trank was going with that. It's possible that Trank's story had roughly the same structure, mm -hmm. and it was just over long, and that's where scenes like that went. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also very possible for me that it had a very basically everything after the accident was significantly different. Well, and that that does make a lot of sense because one thing that I think is interesting to me is for something where you believe that they 
spent a lot of money, a.k.a. like Ben's entire, like, action sequence. I find it fascinating how much of that is jammed into the monitor behind a talking head, you -hmm. know, and really, honestly, how bad a lot of it looks. Like, I sort of wonder the extent to which... The stuff that you see in the monitors feels very last minute. Uh, Well, yeah. But uh, actually, Ben didn't really seem convincing. I thought a lot of the special effects in the movie were terrible. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the final battle sequence in particular right, is just looks bad. Yeah. But there's things the, the things that are in the trailers, especially the first trailer, mm-hmm. that are not in the movie mm-hmm. are kind of fascinating. Right. Because it significantly changes that third act. You see in one of the trailers, Reed's talk to Doom after he's returned from the the, the Planet Zero. Mm-hmm. Because you have the exchange that was used in, I want to say, every single trailer. Mm-hmm. Which is, you don't know what's coming, what is coming. And either, depending on which trailer you watch, he says the future or Doom. Mm-hmm. Which suggests that there was more to what actually was going to happen than Doom just going, well, you've ruined this world. I will just destroy it and go and live by myself in my new world. Right. Which is a, a, a nonsensical plan, which is then carried out even more nonsensically because... Oh, yeah. You know, what What actually happens? I've invented a disc, and somehow I've connected the two planets myself, but mm-hmm. if it passes through the disc, it'll get destroyed. Right. Somehow. Yeah. No, there, there's a lot of uh, crazy shit there. The one thing that I think is interesting for me is... There's um, some things that almost feel, well, actually, considering how leaden and tone deaf so much of the movie is, to me, seemed kind of interestingly subtle. Like, there are references, like, when Sue uh, is talking to Reed in the library, and she's like, so you want to be famous, you know? And she basically tells him his thing and he's like i i don't i don't i don't want to be famous you know she's like got the rest of him pegged but he's like i just want to do good and you to me it becomes really apparent that her conclusion about reed is based entirely off of what she knows about victor von doom because victor is a narcissist and is an egotist and comes in and there's enough lines. I mean, you get a sense of their past relationship, of course, which is ridiculous, but there's, but even more (laughs) to the case is, is the idea that, that various pieces that his planting the, you know, everyone else is drunk, but his whole thing of like, we're not going to be known for this. We invented it and we're not going to be known. Um, is very much this idea of of doom is e- even before they make the portal and they make the jump to the thing he is very much he's he is he's he's obsessed with being famous he's obsessed with being a narcissist and in the end it's kind of that idea of he he's reached the the end stage of that when he comes back from the planet he's like you guys have fucked up this planet i'm just going to be on my i will be the only thing there is it it almost seems like an, a, a kind of elegant endpoint. It's just, it's so, like, you're just sort of half looking at what, you know, is this, like, a couple of pushed aside leaves going, like, I think there was a trail there, and I think that's where that trail was supposed to lead. 
You know? Whereas the, the, the narcissism and the ego is mm-hmm. why that didn't ring true to me at all. Mm. Because Doom wanted an audience. Doom wanted to be famous. He wanted to be recognized. And so I will destroy every other living thing. Mm-hmm. It goes against that for me. Well, I, I, Doom, I, Doom wants yes. subjects. Doom wants to be famous. He wants to be recognized. And, and so that's why the I'm just going to destroy it didn't make sense. Yeah. You know, uh, I will use this, like, I will bring certain people with me mm-hmm. would have made more sense. Sure. Or, like, even just, I will bring Sue with me sure. would have made more sense. It would have made but more instead, sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. He just has, I'm going to destroy everything. Yeah. Which is far more petulant than what we've seen before. Because before he's been manipulative and he's been using other people to his own means. Right. And so to suddenly have him be a child and just be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to throw everything over. Made no sense. Well, um, I, I don't the, think that's supposed to be, I mean, I see you reading it as childish, but I think, although they don't do a great job of, of convincing you clearly, I think the idea is that doom comes back from that year in the wilderness, uh, oh, I, I, essentially like no longer human. Like he's sure, basically no, no, this no, burnt no, out I, cinder I, at the end of that. I totally get that, but yeah. but his actions to me are childish, nonetheless. Mm. Like mm-hmm. no matter what rationale they come up with it in the the movie, right? Like it's the actions of a child mm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the Sue scene where she gets read wrong, mm-hmm. I thought was telling not because of what it said about Sue and Doom, but what it said about Sue and Reed, namely that she can't read him. Yes, right. That he's the guy who who she can't get the fix on. Right. Which is why it was so disappointing for me later when she does get the fix on him. Yes. No, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, the, you yeah. set this up. And yeah. it's, it's it's a cute scene mm-hmm. where she's like, I've got you all figured out. And he's like, actually, you don't. Yeah. And he, he doesn't even push it. Mm-hmm. He's just like, whatever. Right. And it and it is subtle. And it's, it's a cute scene. And the film has lots of cute moments mm-hmm. in the midst of this disaster. Yeah. Um. But then, like so much of the film, it's like, I'm just going to contradict myself here. Mm-hmm. Oh, again, in part because there's, there's just, there's kind of, there's, there's so many multiple pieces that are going on that are wrong. I mean, I, I'm fascinated <laughs> by the idea that, you know, we finally got the brilliant semi-autistic scientist who barely understands human beings um, and it's Sue Storm, not Reed Richards. You know, like Kate Mara is the only character where I was like, I, well, I actually believe that her character is a genius. I didn't really believe that about everyone else. They all show them being like, hey, we're doing stuff. But all of but both Reed and Von Doom seem plugged into real the real world in a way that she doesn't. She really did end up seeming kind of interesting an utterly wrong choice for Sue Storm, but I was like, man, oh, she yeah, would have yeah. made a pretty decent Reed Richards, you know? It, it, yeah, it, I, she was a really interesting character, but she was staggeringly not Sue Storm. Yeah, right. Um, but again, an interesting character. Mm-hmm. A much like Johnny Storm. Yes. Who, for and I love Michael Jordan as an actor. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think he's great. Yeah. But his character here is terrible. Yeah. In large part because he's literally reduced to angry black man mm-hmm. who will help out the white man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just amazingly tone deaf to the point where I can't believe no one involved yeah. was, was like, wait, 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 wait. 
Mm-hmm. Like, even when he becomes Human Torch, mm-hmm. he's like, sure, what's that you want me to do? You want me to go on the missions and kill people? Okay. Right. It's just... What? Well... Like, it, it's... It, it's... I kind of wish someone... Of, of the many things that people had obviously pointed out as, as troublesome in this film. Yeah. I kind of wish someone in production had been like, can we just, like, can we give him some more lines? Well, for one thing, he he absolutely is a hundred percent wasted. That Michael B. Jordan has so much charisma, so much talent, and, and really, I think, is just just intensely watchable, and does almost nothing here. He gets maybe one line every twenty minutes. What it is is in- incredibly dull. And let's face it, one of the absolute hugest mistakes about the movie is Franklin Storm is giving. The, the giving Sue and Johnny's dad such a centerpiece in everything and existing as a plot sop that that just saps the agency out of the characters. One of the things that's so tough, one of the reasons why I, I know that Edie found this movie so dull is everyone is ridiculously passive for so much of this movie. They just totally... until until they're amazingly not. Yes, for no reason. Yeah, for no reason at all. I mean, well, except I think it's supposed to be very much that kind of faux Avengers thing of the death of Franklin Storm is the one that is is where everyone gets catalyzed. But frankly, up until that point, apart from and separate and apart from him being like the worst father in the world and a truly genuinely terrible leader of this scientific group. Um, he just, he's the one where it's the number of scenes where he's like, I don't want to do this. I told you not to do this. And then the sign, the, the, the federal guys <laughs> oh, are basically like, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happens at least two or three times, same sort of thing that happens. And so there's a huge chunk of the movie where I'm like, yeah, absolutely. The worst thing that you can do apart from, from, you know, populating your movie with like, you know, 29 year old teenagers is giving the majority of the film's agency to, you know, a pat, you know, to a passive paternal figure who then just goes on to die. Like it's, it's really, really horrible. And to me, the only reason, I mean, so I was watching the movie being very interested throughout. I mean, I, again, there's things where it's like the Sue storm character is interesting, but part of the problem is she has to function. I mean, the script so clearly sees her as just the love interest of Reed Richards that again, I was just, I was practically apoplectic when it's like, okay, let's all get in this little astronaut thing and go to planet zero. Oh, you're going to call Ben? Great. Remember, let's not call the other person who's been co-designing the project and has literally been in every scene where we've all been in together, you know, because stuff, you know, I mean, there there were so many... She's she's the narc, Jack. There's so many bad choices. Yeah, she's the narc. <laughs> she's the narc. But I mean, there's all that stuff of like, they're trying to establish everything, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to establish the situation and the characters, and also try and get like rivalry between Richards and Doom, and then this the Sue Storm thing. It's like, honestly, it would have been just enough to show them working as a competent team, which they didn't really 
get to do. Like they made it like, oh, sort of, yeah. You know, but oh, oh man, all that stuff is really bad. And then of course, you know, the I always assumed that they were being funded by the military or the government. So that's why it was like, oh, we'll hand it off to NASA or we'll hand it off to the army or we're very much, uh, you know, worse. They're all under the thumb of the government. And the, and so even when you don't have, you know, Franklin Storm, you know, the government leaning on, on Franklin Storm, you have all these people. They're kind of like once the accident happens to the fantastic four and they basically all become lab rats, except for Reed who runs off for a ridiculously long period of time, you're like, again, it's a, it's a weird, it's, it's almost horror movie motivation in horror movies. You can have characters continually continue to be passive as they're more or less hunted down by an external force. It only, it, it really just is supposed to heighten that feeling of nightmarish helplessness. But, but of course here it's just, it's really ludicrous because you've supposedly have gone to great lengths to set these people up as characters who are going to do something. Um, it's amazing to me how much like the the thing that I found fascinating, no pun intended, is Sue Storm is is an interesting character, but so far off the mark. Michael Jordan is given like to these contours of the old Johnny Storm character that just actually end up reinforcing some really shitty stereotypes. But then you've got the audacity to basically take. Jamie Bell, Ben Grimm, and turn him into into just a victim, which I thought was yeah. fascinating. Ben Grimm is in a film that serves none of the characters well. Mm-hmm. Ben Grimm is served by far the worst. Mm-hmm. There is nothing about the Ben Grimm in the movie. Yeah, that is recognizable as the Ben Grimm from the comic. Yeah. He he has he has none of it. He doesn't even have the self pity of the comic background. Isn't that amazing? I thought that was the part that I thought was really like they're like we are going to go in every possible different direction with Ben Grimm. And the one thing I thought was interesting was a okay, this is supposed to ramp up the classic Reed feels guilty for Ben's situation. Like it makes a lot more sense in this movie, but then they proceed to. A, almost never touch on it because Ben Grimm is, has none of his self-pity and, and yet none of his bluster, none of his bravado. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That there is, there is absolute, there's no Ben Grimm here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is. He, he is, he is reduced to the monster that ironically Lee and Kirby were playing off Mm -hmm. and, and deterring in the character. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and one of the things that I think is fascinating is for me, Bell would be like, I always hated and I understood why they did it. But every time, like if you re- remember, and God help all of us who do, the previous Fantastic Four movies by, uh, you know, Tim Story, having Michael Chiklis as the thing was always just to me eye rolling because he's always talking like this and it's always too on the nose. Having a Ben Grimm that was strangely with a really strangely vulnerable voice 
to me felt really interesting, but I'm like, no, but you've got to make him say some of the things. Even by the time he sort of more or less half-heartedly croaks out its clobbering time, it's terrible. It's so funny. Again, I told you, Edie knows so little about the Fantastic Four that as we were driving to the movie theater and she was trying to explain to me what she knew, she kept referring to the thing as concrete which really is like a sign of like, yeah, Edie read some <laughs> comics in college, but clearly That's not great. the Fantastic Four. Yeah, she was like, Concrete, is that his name? I'm like, no. She's like, The Rock Dude. I'm like, yeah. She's like, I don't I don't know his name. But coming out of the movie, she was like, so it's clobbering time. That's kind of, is that like his thing? Is that like what he yells? I'm like. Yes. And she's like, and the flame on? Because it was just so weirdly, that's what the Human Torch says, right? I'm like, yes. She's like, yeah, those so clearly came out of nowhere and just, that that just seemed so oddly out of place that they had to be like the comic book trademarks they had to squeeze in there. I'm like, yeah. It's clobbering time, of course, also comes from his brother who beats him up. Yes. Which I'm just like, what? What yeah, I, I know, right? What <laughs> it, it was it was one of those moments where, I, and I knew it was coming when I before I saw it in the theater because, like, that was one of the first things that people just lost their shit about on Twitter when it came out, right? Um, but it, but you see it, and you just have a moment of like, I don't even understand what you were going for. Yeah, like, yeah. is that is that meant to be funny? Like, I don't I don't get it. Why did you do that? Yeah. I, I, I'm I, not even upset. I'm just confused. Yeah, right. Exactly. I don't know. I get the sense that there was like a huge chunk of this stuff, a huge chunk of the thing story missing. Yeah, um, again, there's lots of stuff in the trailers. Like there's yeah. Jamie Bell. Stepping up to plate in a baseball thing or yes, something, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also at one point smashing the Grim Savage sign. Oh, interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, there's obviously a subplot. In fact, there's even a point in the movie where you see where he would do it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, it would actually have fit. Oh, really? And it would have, yeah. When he gets the the text message from Reed, and Reed's giving him the thumbs up with the machine behind him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we did it, buddy. And it's when... Oh, yeah, he does he that sort of semi-fist point. thing and then kind of like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the point, obviously, where he smashes the sign, mm-hmm. and that would have been a great end to that scene. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like that that would have been the button to that scene, and you would have felt more for Ben as a result, and it would have taken thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not there. Yeah. At well, some point, someone decided this is a film about Reed. Oh yeah, yeah. This at is... like at the, at the cost of every other character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. And the problem is, there's not enough material in there to actually make it a film about Reed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because again, like just after the accident where you lose Doom for, mm-hmm. you know, a good half hour, right? You kind of lose Reed as well because he's on the run and you don't see him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do have to say I enjoyed the 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 little. 15, 20 minute. I still haven't seen Chronicle, but I've heard about it and I'm very much like, well, I will say that Josh Trank knows his Akira. I will say that because when Doc Doom, that's why when you're saying like, oh, the parents with their six year olds, I'm like, oh, Jesus. The only part of the movie where I was like, okay, this is where I can tell this is where Trank was (coughs) going with this is when Dr. Doom shows up turns into something that looks like it was he was designed by Enki Bilal and begins exploding heads in the lab and colla- and throwing out Which, walls, right? It's it's the wrong attitude, but I found that scene hilarious. Oh, hilarious. That is so funny. I because thought it was great. It's so I mean, I really 
this sounds terrible, but I really liked it when he's doing it and he's in he's tied to the to the bed to the bed. You know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that worked for me that he's just like through my basically through my anger powers I'll blow up your head. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> then he then walks through and it's just like your head blows up. Your head blows up. Your head blows up. Your head blows up. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really funny to me. That he wasn't just like, I'm leaving. Instead, he was just like, you, boom, you, boom, you, boom. I'm Victor Von Boom, everyone. Victor Von Boom. Also, can we talk about the fact that uh, clearly Von Doom was changed after the fact? Uh, Yeah, tell me about that. Well, every, with the exception of one time, Mm -hmm. no one says Victor Von Doom when their lips are on camera. Mm, that's it but that's it, but you do get uh uh the first time you find out his name is victor von doom is when you see literally written down mm-hmm. and you have this character going victor von doom <laughs> and it's like <laughs> what like you holy shit holy i didn't notice that but i'm absolutely sure that you're right i'm absolutely um, sure and, that you're right yeah it's and also no one ever refers to it except you know I mean? like except for it, sue but in that weird like like it's it's in a really weird also it's during reshoots because you you can tell from kate Myers' hair versus her wig oh, when scenes genius. were shot interesting okay uh well jeff they're they're two different colors dude i apparently don't even notice when jack kirby is drawing the thing with two left feet so you know so i could be wrong but I want to say that uh, Michael B. Jordan had a mustache in some scenes and didn't in other scenes. I kind of thought so, too. But I was like, uh, what? Which, yeah. which is wonderful if that's the case. If I'm not imagining that, I love the idea that for the reshoots, they're like, look, can you just, can, you know, you can you just make yourself look like you did for it? He's like, no. He's, he's like, I can't. I'm on to the next movie, man. I've got to keep continuity with that movie because this one is clearly going to be a toilet clogger. So the, the, so the opening of the Hollywood Reporter story, which is hilarious, is apparently Trank emailed the cast and crew before it opened and said, we've made a film that's better than 99% of other, all other superhero movies. Mm-hmm. And apparently, and it doesn't say who, but apparently one of the main cast wrote back and were like, I don't think so. Wow. Wow. Um, well, yeah, because honestly, you look at that movie, but holy shit, at the very end where they're trying to jam all this, the, oh, so bad. Those last couple of lines, like, again, oh, it's, it, oh, it's so horrible. Ooh. Where they're like, hey, we've got to call Ben the thing. How can we do that? Wait, I've got, I've got a great idea for the last scene. Yeah, yeah. We'll be, we'll be standing up. Also, I like when they go into the hangar, like, the hangar laboratory mm-hmm. they're like i want that space and you're like why it looks like every other bit of space yeah no totally at but every chunk of you, it it was like yeah why are you even bothered yeah it's, it's all the same yeah it was and, it, when yeah. they have uh, johnny go hey why don't you just call us two guys a girl and the thing and you have expected him to look at the audience and be like do you get it oh that entire scene was so rich with it in fact from that thing that moment where ben's like it's all been fantastic and it's like it's like, I swear to God. It's it like, was... sure, an 18-year-old would call something fantastic. Yeah. Especially what's just happened. Yeah. Uh, right. Especially being turned irretrievably into a monster, made into a killer with 43 confirmed kills in the military, and it's... having, you know, watched people be turned into ridiculous blood slugs. You're like, it's all been fantastic. Why not great? Let's call ourselves the, the, great, the great Gatsby's. You know, like it really was just like it, it was so bad. It was great. It was awesome because moments like that 
are wonderful if you're married and you're watching your uh, spouse react. Because <laughs> watching Edie just like cringe. want to die from mortification. Yeah, it was a full body cringe. It was like her soul what, was trying to fight really, its way out of her body because she just no longer really wanted funny to live. Is, uh, first of all, that scene really was very reminiscent of the end of Avengers Age Voltron. <laughs> Weirdly freakly so, do you not think? Here's our here's our epilogue where we introduce you to the new status quo, including their new headquarters, and it will end with one of the characters about to say something that the comic fans will recognize and will cut to black before they say it. Mm-hmm. Super weird mm-hmm. that it, it was it was almost beautiful beat. Yeah, but probably it was. With with the Fantastic Four, you have to do what Man of Steel did for Superman, which is he doesn't name himself, someone else names him. Mm-hmm. You can't have anyone in the Fantastic Four go, we're the Fantastic Four, you guys. Yeah. You have to have some terrible tabloid to it. Yeah. And then six. Yeah. It's the only way to do it. Well, on top of it, it was just the what I thought was hilarious was there's that part and just very much the last 16 seconds where suddenly, inexplicably, everyone's acting sort of like the way we you know know them from the comics yes. in the yeah. idea that I, yeah. everyone Amazingly. will be like yeah just like come back next time everyone you're really going to get that we promise like here we are here they it was, are it was yeah. like okay you guys we've got the origin story over we can we can do better next time yeah 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 exactly look look johnny and ben are feuding just like yeah, even though they've no had reason. no interaction Which at all yeah, done before. Exactly. yeah yeah exactly Ig- it, it, yeah it's it was a staggering mess yeah but, as I think we both agree, a fascinating one. Oh, completely. I mean, I really was. Edie was bored. I was completely absorbed through, like, two-thirds to three-quarters of it. I mean, basically, it was over by the time I, you know, by the time it just was like, I was like, oh, this is mortifyingly bad. Oh, here's by, the credits. By, by, okay. Yeah. By the mm-hmm. time it lost me, yeah. it was done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but prior, prior especially up to the accident, the accident, up to the accident, there are so many scenes in that film where I was like, this really has potential and it's been cut to shit after the fact. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, yeah. I would watch this film. Mm-hmm. I, am, I am watching this film. Yes. But, you know, I'm I'm really interested in the choices that are being made here that have clearly been discarded. Indeed. And I it's, think so. it's it's after the accident where I started being like, oh, you know, I'm not on board with any of this. But I really, like, I, like I said, I liked Kid Reed. I, I, thought, I thought that was... Right. Uh, not necessarily like well done, but an interesting way to get into the story. Well, it's an interesting way to get into the story. And I think that it's very much a to me, I was like, oh, this is a clever sort of end run around, you know, the Fantastic Four. Their story is so buried in uh, the space race in the comics, you know, and they're very much a product of their time. And if you want to go the extra step and even make them turn into a, a strange, at first a nightmarish reflection of that time, and then through Kirby and Lee doing their thing, becoming this ultra magnification, almost expansion beyond that. Um, you know, one of the things I was thought was intriguing was I'm like, oh, Trank is taking, like, how do I put it? Our myth of our age is not the space race. It's the Steven Spielberg movie, you know? So 
taking those kids and having them interact that way and be geniuses. And even with the right amount of music, I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is, you know, again, I was like, this is almost riffing on the Spielberg concept of youth in America, which is very much something that I think that we have, like, I didn't see, um, super eight. Did you? Yes. I feel like super eight was kind of sort of trying to go in that same direction. Oh, so super eight was, Hi, I'm J.J. Abrams. Mm -hmm. This is my Steven Spielberg cover band. Right. Exactly. Well, but hopefully, I didn't see it, but hopefully trying to say something, maybe it wasn't. But I feel like Trank was starting out from the same place. I would argue that it wasn't really trying to say something. Well, that's fine. I think all I was really trying to say was, you guys, I really liked Steven Spielberg. I so like him, you guys. I so like him. I I honestly think that's that's what he was saying more than anything else. Yeah. Whereas I I think that it's possible that Trank was taking that as a starting base step to go somewhere else with it but i just want to say right now jeff i think even though you haven't seen chronicle you are quite clearly in the tank for trank yeah (laughs) did you say that just so you could say in the tank for trank (laughs) well yes okay thank you no but i also think you are i think you are you're giving him you're being incredibly generous to him right Uh, and you're you i feel that what I've gotten out of our talking about this is you pretty much being like, if they'd left Josh Trank alone, this would have been an okay movie. Well, no, and, uh, yeah, and I, right. no, right. I don't get that. Right. I, I very much get what they ended up with was an absolute fucking disaster. Yeah. But there's so many, like there's so many just weird choices in there, no matter what. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what any of it would be like. Yeah. I don't know if it would have been a better movie. I don't know if it would have been a worse movie. All I know is what we've got is disastrous but compelling. Right. Disastrous but compelling. I guess I'll say that, and I see I see your point. I think there's a very good chance that what Trank had was a huge – would have been a huge mess. In fact, according to my wife, the first two-thirds of the movie was deeply, deeply boring to her. And I think, honestly, even if Trank's version had come out, I think audiences – Clearly what audiences were responding to wasn't just that very last no, quarter. No, I, you I, know? I think everything left the audience's calls. Exactly. I so, the, audiences, the few audiences that showed up. Oh, man. The people in my audience, I have to say, Edie and I – I said to Edie, I was like, oh, my God. We are the only people – the only non-special needs uh, members of the audience – like over the age of 40 because every all the other people there were a over 40 and B. Jeff, you wait to see a showing at like 11 o'clock in a 10 a, yeah 10 a.m no i know 10 that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, you, who do you think goes to see movies dude at i 10 have bad news for you a lot of people a lot really? of people yes yeah this is san francisco dude this is san francisco if nothing else, let's put it this way if this had been a popular film a serious like popular film I would have been in the crowd with a bunch of uh, 28-year-olds wearing their vape pens around their neck. You know what I mean? The fact that I was – that we literally had to move to get away from the 62-year-old man who was wearing like a cut-off workout shirt, cut-off shorts – and was talking excitedly to his friend about literally anything that came into his mind, including what he had for dinner last night, was really a sign that this was not 
Like seriously, dude. I I I I bet you Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, even though it's been out longer, the Thursday 10 a.m. screening of that would have had the same unemployed 45-year-olds. I just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So so of course I said that to Edie and she's like, why, why, sort of like, why do you think that anyone would see us that way? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. I guess, it, I guess anyone <laughs> looking at this audience is just going to see. Yeah. So, um, so what we're saying listeners is yeah. Fantastic Four is maybe still playing in your theaters tonight. Really? Who, who fucking knows? It's probably gone right. already. It's probably gone. But if it's there, yeah. you should rush out to see it. Yes, but definitely. A, prepare for disappointments and be definitely don't go for a full price showing. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Cause Graham and I were both kind of like, eh. but I have to say, you know, if, if you're, there is an aspect where somebody is going to like, for example, I came home and was flipping through these issues of the fantastic four. And I'm like, huh? So the movie was a highly conflicted, you know, creatively disastrous, unfocused pile of flop trottle. And of course, issues 68 through 73 are pretty much the same. Pretty much. I'm like, maybe it's a more faithful adaptation in terms of its tone. <laughs> in terms of like, clearly one person was not on the same page as the other person. It's, uh, it's pretty much let's there. Ta- let's talk about the comics. Yes. Let's uh, talk comics. Yeah, I think I think it's time. So we are covering this episode, uh, Annual Number Five, which isn't even called Annual Number Five. It's Fantastic Four Special, nineteen sixty-seven. Yes, and uh, issues sixty-eight through seventy-three of mm-hmm. the series. As I said before, we're in a shitty period. To be perfectly honest, the the annual is. I said this to you in email, Jeff. The annual is fun. The issues are not. Yeah, I mean. Annual 5 is probably the best, most cohesive uh, piece of what we're going to be reviewing today. And it's still, frankly, kind of a dashed-off mess. I, yes. I, it's but got... Annual 5 does have, and we should start with Annual 5 because in the continuity, that is where it falls. Yes. Um, annual 5 features the first appearance of Psycho Man, one of Kirby's greatest designs, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, completely. Completely. Psy- Psycho Man is amazing even before you get to the fact that he has a giant eye that says fear, doubt, and hate on it. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's favorite iPad user is, is this is where he first appears. And um, uh, let's, uh, I, I don't know how much you want to, to, if you want to like, if, if we should like recap the issue. Um, let's, let's, let's give it what it deserves. Uh, Fantastic Four annual number five or Fantastic Four King Size Special which says on its cover, Fantastic Four Special, all new, not a single reprint. By the way, that's true. Uh, yes. It is called Divide and Conquer. There's, <laughs> there's a pause in there. It's another spellbinding spectacular by Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby, inked by Jolton Josenet and lettered by Swingin' Sammy Rosen. It features the indomitable Inhumans, the bedazzling Black Panther, the Psycho Man. And if that sounds a bit like it's going to be too busy, it is. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that actually strikes me is uh, the first two pages here, apart from the fact that, that, that in a caption, Stan manages to mention that uh, Sue and Reed are married. And I suspect that's – well, anyway, it, it, 
there's almost there's no external shot there's no explanation of who these characters are on the one hand i'm fine with it it was just when i was looking at it i really had this thing of unlike a lot of uh kirby issues that pretty much go by a certain uh route i think this story is told in such a uh, even for Kirby, speedy slapdash fashion. Yes, you yes. don't really know if you if you do not know who these characters are and where they are and what the relationships are to each other. You are out of luck. This is not an introductory book. Oh no this this is a book for people who read the regular series. But, um, very definitely because not only is there no introduction to, yeah. to the relationships are the many regular characters that appear in here. Yes. It also ends in not necessarily a cliffhanger, but something that only has impact if you read the regular series, which is that Sue Storm is pregnant. Yes. Which, you know, if if this was your first time reading Fantastic Four, that would kind of be weightless. Yeah. You'd have a like, oh, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> the only thing I mean? like that it's... you would be able to be covered is thanks to Stan's little circular caption on the first page. The you lovely Sue Richards suddenly fainted. Her husband, Reed, Gently lifts her in her his arms, and that's all the intro you're gonna need. And I, and I realized it's just so Stan realizes is covering his ass to make sure that people won't complain that she got pregnant out of wedlock if they picked it up. Like if nothing else, the first page will inform you that the last page is she she was not having you know premarital sex. So thank goodness everybody. Well, to be fair, she might have. Well, true. We we don't know that. Yeah. That is that is completely true. We, we just know that when she gets pregnant, she is married. Yes. So the story, such as it is, is after Sue collapses and then comes around and is like, oh, it's really warm in here. We pretty much immediately cuts to the psycho man who, with really kind of classic Kirby moment. Yes. Is just like projecting fear into a dude. So he jumps out a window just because he can. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. I mean, the uh, the the actual even sadder part is as we go on to find out, Psycho Man is the scientist from the microverse, a sub kingdom who has come to the to expanded himself to this universe to more or less conquer and take over. In order to do that, it was very important to him that he uses he assembles his ray that will allow him to control the emotions of everyone on Earth. And in order to make sure that that works, he hires a dude off the street to deliver a box. And when that guy gets the address wrong, he's punished, made to jump out of a window clearly to his death in Kirby's telling, but in Stan Lee's script, Stan more or less yes, makes him say... Yes, he lands the ledge below. Yes. When he recovers in the hospital, no one will believe his story. He jumped out a fucking window, dude. He's clearly dead. He's clearly dead. You can see from that window, it's many stories up. And yeah, so it's, what, it's yeah. higher than, the, than yeah. the skyscrapers around it. Yeah. Once again, you get into it some... It was really far. Like, yes. like, that has to be a really big ledge underneath. Seriously, I was like, do they meet on an opposite roof? Because, I mean, it's very, it's very odd. Despite but, but being... Then, yes. Sorry, on you go. I was going to say, then we introduce the, the next great villains. Yes. Lysire, Shellshock, and Ivan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those shames. Like, Psycho Man's henchmen 
are like those there's a certain level of Kirby henchmen that are deeply uninteresting from the get go. And these actually seem like a tribute to Steve Ditko's The Enforcers that have popped up in Spider-Man, except they are even more out of their league. Oh, I mean, I absolutely love them. I really yeah, do. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if they ever appeared again. And I really hope they did. And if not, all new, all different Marvel. Can someone please bring back Livewire, Ivan, and Shellshock? Yes. Honestly, you just know. I don't. I actually don't doubt that Jason Aaron has already like written a, a 12 issue limited series that he keeps trying to sell to Marvel that no one will take. They're going to um, be the new bad guys of Dr. Strange, aren't they? I, probably, probably it's, it's like live wire and Ivan versus Dr. Strange and his fucking axe. It's, it's going to be glorious. It's not a fucking axe. It's Thor's axe. Come on. Oh, keep it, up. Is it Thor? I keep up to what the press releases Fuck that. Um, <laughs> anyway, the the misdelivered package the Psycho Man was so upset about that he killed, and he killed him, let's be honest. Yeah, come on. His henchman. Stan, um, got please. misdelivered to uh, Alicia. Yes. And and Ben is there, and it works, you guys. Mm-hmm. It works. <laughs> kind of. Maybe. Sort of. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that... Trying to uh, unwrap it, Psycho Man and his henchmen show up and literally put Ben into such a state of fear that he thinks he's being attacked by a big green monster. Who, wonderfully, he makes go away by shouting, "It's clobbering time!" Yes. Once again, we've reached one of these stages where, and I think one of the things that's great about this annual overall is not only is Stan, as we can see from the the ledge sequence. Happy to overwrite and second-guess Jack at just about every turn, he consistently does this despite clearly, and I can't blame him, having no fucking idea what Psycho Man's powers are. I don't, I don't get this. Like, is, is Ben fighting his own fear? Is that what's being punching? I mean, through this entire issue, you get people engaged in relatively specific punch-outs with what you guess are illusions, but are never really presented as such and more or less are able to, to sock them. So it almost makes sense that, that Ben is able to dispel the beast with like one massive act of bravado, except it basically entirely doesn't. Yeah, exactly. When you, when you think, well, that's not true in this scene, you can totally believe that he is fighting an illusion. that's not there. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. It's later on. When that yeah. really goes to hell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We cut from that. Sorry. Anyway, so Psycho Man and his henchmen steal the, the package, which is component five. Because, <laughs> you know, it's always good that you number your components. Yes. Uh, we cut from that uh, to the African island of Wakanda. Actually, that's not true. No. We visit Panther Island. Panther which Island. Which bought mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. Wakanda. Yeah, that's right. Um, yes. Which is being explored by the Black Panther but also just happens to be where the Inhumans are now living. Yes. And what it's great, which I think is interesting, is is that I sometimes wonder if this annual was supposed to come out earlier because, you know, people who've been following along with us, there is a stack of Lee Kirby issues where the subplots are basically 
people coming across the Inhumans on an island and the Inhumans fucking up their shit. Like, it happens several different times. So it's kind of interesting to actually have an issue where the people who are coming across the Inhumans actually is the Black Panther and his men, as opposed to, like, pirates or evil submarines or all the other shit that I can barely remember stumbling across the Inhumans and having to get their asses kicked. So, so this is kind of a nice... You know, two dangling subplots that have been running around in the back of the Fantastic Four, and subplot is maybe too strong a name. Basically, well, scenes for the, that the Black keep Panther, it, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not even a subplot at this point. He's just a character who shows up has yeah. has been the what a co lead once maybe, and mm-hmm. otherwise has been the Fantastic Four's genius inventor king friend who will give them shit. Yeah, who gives them shit. So once again, now. This is me, of course, I'm second-guessing. Who really knows? It could go either way. But in a story super laden with coincidence, it's kind of crazy that the Panther happens to buy an island that happens to have the Inhumans on it, that happens to be right off the area where Psycho Man has constructed his off-island super lair. I personally think it would have been better, and I I can see Kirby having a more of a, like, each of them were sort of drawn to this island because of weird energies or some other thing that they thought was off that they tried to investigate. They're they're all exploring something odd. Yes. Yeah. Misunderstand each other and then manage to track down the actual threat. But honestly, no. Instead, it just ends up being another coincidence as scripted in in a story that has, unfortunately, way too many of them. So We go from that back to the Baxter building where Reed and Sue tell the rest of Fantastic Four what we as readers do not already know but do because we've read this story before. They're going to have a baby. That's right. There, there is going to be the patter of tiny footies. Or in the Baxter building, as, <laughs> as Ben puts it. Uh, my favorite part about this is on pa- uh, page 14, the first mm-hmm. panel of, of Ben jubilant and lifting up Reed. Yes. It's such a lovely panel. I, I really was very it. curious. I actually wrote in my notes, like, is it going to be page 13, panel 3, or is it going to be page 14, panel 1 that's going to be a favorite of Graham's? So. And it's, well, it has to say... There's a lot I like about page 13, panel three, mm-hmm. uh, including maybe my favorite Johnny Storm drawing ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in there. It's so great. But it, no, it is. It's the thing. Yeah. I'm so happy mm-hmm. <laughs> running around. We will put this in the show notes, people, because you have to see it. It's such a great, great panel. Yeah. Um, but I will skip past that because I want to get immediately cutting back to Psycho Man and his, his troops. And my favorite mistake in the entire issue. Okay. So the last time we saw Psycho Man mm-hmm. was on page eight. This is page 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seven pages. Yes. When we last saw Psycho Man, he was taking away component five. On page 15, it's become component four. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes. Also, another uh, huge mistake... Uh, is thinking that Livewire, Ivan, and uh, who's the other guy? Shockwave? Who's the who's the third of the three? Livewire, Shellshock, and Ivan. Shellshock! I was like, Livewire, Shockwave? No, that's not it. 
is the the creative mistake of thinking that Livewire, Shellshock, and Ivan are going to be a match for the fucking Inhumans and the Black Panther. So I have to say, though, I do love this. Like, I couldn't remember Wait, if I'd read this what, story or not. What do you mean that's, that's a mistake? They almost are. Yeah, Come on. So <laughs> the, it's, it's the plot's demands. It's Jeff. Yeah, no kidding. I actually adore again, that sort of Kirby thing. I love the, uh, the hunter missiles that are homing in on the black Panther. And then he leaps and manages to exchange places with uh shell shock at the last minute. That is, that's a sequence that has always stayed with me. It's one of those things where it's like the stuff here is silly and more or less nonsensical, but I, I love it. I really do. I want to draw special attention, and I hope this isn't jumping too far ahead. Page 19, panel 2, where the mind ray is, is fully operational. Psycho Man gets behind uh, the trigger of it, and you see him through the sights is just great. I mean, it's just like, I love that panel, just the I, design I of it love and everything. I panel, panel afterwards, which is um, Black Bolt's flying towards the reader. Yeah. And the, the two nets to each other. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a, a wonderful comparison. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're not really jumping ahead. So yeah, the Inhumans and the Black Panther confront Psychoman's uh, mm-hmm. henchmen mm-hmm. and distract them long enough for Psychoman to, to get his gun operational. Mm-hmm. At which point, just because... Oh, you should mention that at this point, uh, Ben and Johnny and uh, and Lockjaw show up. Yes, uh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Just oh, sorry. Okay. For, for for no real reason. Well, actually, mm-hmm. there is a reason, but it's also plot relevant. Uh, not plot relevant. Plot coincidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fantastic Four arrive, or three arrive, which is Johnny, the Thing, and Triton mm-hmm. arrive with Lockjaw. Because they are trying to track down Component 5. Mm-hmm. How would they know to appear there? Let's, let's just not talk about that. Let's put it this way. Stan Lee, the guy who is ostensibly the writer of the book, has someone say, perhaps he sensed we needed them. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really all that needs to be said. <laughs> um, yeah, because we are now at the point where Reed and Sue are going to be kind of sidelined from the book. But yes. that won't happen in the regular uh, series for another few issues. Mm-hmm. We, anyway, the end of issue of page twenty has mm-hmm. a wonderful note as the Inhumans, the Black Panther, and Johnny and uh, Ben walk towards the reader. It's a special note. We suggest you study this illustration carefully and perhaps even file it away in some safe repository for it is unlikely you will see another such awesome aggregation of raw power as now confronts your ever-loving eyes. <laughs> a, great hyperbole, Stan. Yes. B, such hyperbole for such a terrible panel. Yes, it's great. I mean, it really, it's one of those, like, that is the sort of thing that Stan used to slap uh, pretty much justifiably onto a full-page splash that looks amazing. This actually looks like he noticed there was some dead space to the yes, left side of this very tiny it. panel. Yeah. And was like, okay, this is where we're going with it. They are confronted nonetheless by another impossible beastie. Spoilers. Yep. 
he's impossible because he doesn't really exist. It's Psychomantry again. Mm -hmm. But this is where the physics of what exactly the Psychomantry does really comes into play. Mm -hmm. Because not only do the Inhumans and the two members of the Fantastic Four and the Black Panther all decide to take on this beastie, mm -hmm. which, if it's not there, you'd think something might yeah. have given it away. Yeah. But you have Karnak actually karate chopping a wall only for it to become like putty to him. Yeah. Which is where it really falls down because if it is all in his mind, what actually happened? Yes. I'm I'm actually sort of wondering if perhaps the psycho man and this is this is where this is where Kirby might have actually told things improperly with the opening cuz the the opening very much gives the idea of the creatures, like the the underling who's misdelivered the box, sees a bunch of shadowy creatures, leaps from the window to his death. And you get the idea that it was all in his mind. I actually sort of wonder if the Psycho Man is supposed to be, he pushes a button and he literally makes manifest your own yeah. your own fears like that monster that was that was clobbering ben these creatures that everyone is actually fighting the molasses in the wall your your the reality is actually being altered to live up to the level of your fear and yet it makes almost no sense either well, way I, I but i think that is definitely what happens mm -hmm. because pretty soon gorgon of the inhumans returns mm -hmm. from a scouting mission because, of course, you have to have someone come in and be a day sex machina. And why should it be the other two members of the team, you guys? That yeah. would be ridiculous. Yeah. Gargan comes in and he manages to, do, to destroy the monsters that are attacking the rest of the team. So he sees them. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously not just your fears. Yes. Right? Yeah. And also, he gets Triton and he shatters him from the, the, mm -hmm. the cage he was in. Mm -hmm. So there, it has to be making something physical somehow. Yes. Quite how it does that... Who knows? Yes. But it's got it's got to be more than just what is in your brain, I guess. Yeah, it's got to be. And yet, on the other hand, again, whether it's real or not real, why does Gorgon's super amazing goat feet manage to make it disappear? Mm, no one knows. You know, again, it's just very much... Uh, I think it's it's worth remembering Kirby is drawing a shit ton of regular issues and this is an annual and so they've got to scoop out an entirely another story and God help me it it's the requisite number of pages and it has Kirby's dash and invention but it has even even by Kirby's standards um, it it doesn't it you just can't quite figure out a, a lens to see it through in which it really makes sense. Well, yeah. let's let's jump to the end because we are pretty much there. Gargan comes, he rescues the rest of the team. Yeah. Uh, they go on to confront Psycho Man, who explains that he is from the cluster worlds of Subatomica. Yes. It's not called the micro Microverse just yet, but it will be very soon. That's right. And he is invading Earth because the population of Subatomica is multiplying at such a rate they'll need another world to live in. Yes. So why don't they take over this world? Yeah. That's, again... Never going to be explained again, and in that Subatomica later becomes the Microverse of the Micronaut series, mm -hmm. bears absolutely no resemblance. Anyway, he explains that's what he basically is confronted by the villains, by the heroes, and says, "This is what I'm doing, you guys. This is why I'm invading." Mm -hmm. He gets jumped by the Black Panther, and it turns out that he wasn't even there. It was a, a remote-controlled robot. The end. Yes. 
Yeah, although that being said, again, massive amounts of confusion here because they make it sound as with his mind ray shattered, his mechanical suit smashed, he is finished. Yeah, he can't bother us any more than any pint-sized germ floating around this joint. I wonder, has he returned from the subatomic world from once he came, or is he forever trapped within that now useless suit, the tiniest prisoner of the world he hoped to conquer? This is 100% Stanley pulling the shit out of his ass. Yeah, because he's like, what just happens? You, yeah. You can tell. Yeah. That, you know, Jack's notes for this probably just, yeah. you know, and then it's done. Yeah. Exactly. We've got a panel at the end of the thing looking grumpy. Just just write it up, Stan. It sounds like, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. Fuck you. One of the things I think is kind of interesting, and I know that this is not the case, so I'll make it super quick because it's the classic world of Jeff being like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you never see the face of the villain? Once again, the psycho pirate, uh, psycho man as he exists is a faceless villain. He's in Subatomica and he's dressed in green. And in fact, you see him with him having an enormous kind of robo hookah lowered over his head while he's talking about it being the greatest invasion of all time. I am a fan of the idea that no one has ever thought or will ever think again that this, just like King the Conqueror, is Dr. Doom is another incarnation of Dr. Doom. Just as we see Dr. Doom fall into Subatomica many, many issues ago and then summon the FF and almost all but beat the pants off of them in his Subatomic Kingdom that, of course, he's defeated and brought back. But sort of in the same strange way that Dr. Doom ends up meeting Kang and believe they manage to convince one another that thanks to time travel, they might be the same person. I actually love the idea that this is another split-off fragment of Dr. Doom because he pretty much adopts the modus operandi of a big armored suit, a lot of highfalutin language, and Kirby never shows his face. Clearly not the case. The end. That's an fascinating digression though thank you thank you I, 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 i'm as much as i like it i'm really glad that's not the case yes exactly i would be really sad if they were like and everyone's dr doom i will say very quickly about the uh the hookah as you said that's lured over him it's uh the darth vader scene from empire strikes back yeah you're right absolutely it completely is that is i was like why does that thing look it looks a little bit more like a turban but pretty much yeah exactly yeah good job george because Mm-hmm. Shall we continue on to the backup stories, or do you want to jump onto the the proper story, the proper series? Well, okay, I'm hoping because we're we're actually about an hour and a half in that um, we can dispense with the rather perfunctory issues somewhat quickly. I so I want to talk at least somewhat briefly about uh, the nature of the the backup issues, uh, backup stories here in this annual, because with the idea that. That Kirby is leaving soon, uh, well, comparatively. Soon, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like three years. Th- is it? Is it three years from now? Yeah. Okay. Then my well, timeline is. He he off. jumps off around one o two is his last issue. Oh. Okay. Um, this comes out contemporaneous with sixty eight. Okay. I thought I thought he was off before, but you're right. Of course, clearly does a hundred issues because that's that's the big point. Um. A few things that I, I wanted to point out is I, I the at least for me, the idea that you've got and what I am half convinced is a backup brand X story that they decided yes. to run in the, this as page filler, which um, is this is a plot question mark, yes. which is how Lee and Kirby plot Fantastic Four. 
yeah. as told by Lee and Kirby. Well, actually, yes, as told by Lee and Kirby, but actually just told by Lee uh, Kirby. Um, this is actually it's true. He actually wrote it. Yes, yeah, it he not that. only drew it, but he wrote it. So Lee is not taking any sort of uh, thing off this, and so it's interesting. By contrast, you do see, as sometimes happens with Kirby, things don't quite hang together. But what's fascinating to me are a number of things. One, years before House Roy pops up in Mister Miracle, you see Roy Thomas hiding under a carpet and him saying a hero should look like a hero like me rascally Roy Thomas muscle of the Midwest. i read that. And I was like, does Jack Kirby hate Roy Thomas? Like, like just from the get go, did he just not like the guy? Cause it's not a, it's not a flattering portrait. It only pops up as one little moment of appearance um, very strange to me. Uh, also to me, noteworthy is the cigar box that Stan Lee on the first page is using his sword to like whip a, a cigar out of. And it says the box says short cigars for tall editors. Well, now, also look at, look at the shelves behind them that say caviar, pheasant, bonbons, and salami. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, and slop art above it instead of the Marvel pop art that, you know, had I think starts has been popping up before on Marvel's covers for a period. Um, I'm fascinated because I'm not quite sure how to take the caviar and the like. If is is it really high living or is it just Kirby telling this story in the style of of old Mad Comics? Knows that there's got to be layers and layers of jokes in the background. To me, the thing is, is he doesn't say it's not short cigars for tall writers; it's tall editors. You know what I mean? Like at a real basic level. And I, and I mentioned that because of a relatively recent piece that I ended up reading online that hopefully I'll find the link that I can send you if you want to put in show notes or not. That was talking about the idea that Kirby, toward the end of his career, was talking about himself as the writer and editor of these stories. And that Lee was an editor. And... A lot of people presented it as if this was something that Kirby was saying toward the end of his days, and it should be taken with a grain of salt and not really believed because he's really angry. But interestingly enough, on this first page of a thing in the middle of supposedly Lee and Kirby, you know, openly collaborating, um, Kirby is indeed referring to, to Lee as an editor, not necessarily a writer which I found I found kind of interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily that noteworthy, but kind of interesting. I I, I would put more weight on it if the story didn't like wasn't specifically about the two of them co-writing and bouncing ideas off each other. Uh yeah, no, that's absolutely you know, it, true. Uh yeah. something that I I, I love the story, and I actually read the story years and years and years earlier because it was reprinted in Marvel Age Annual number 2. Mm. Mhm. Uh, and so I read it like completely, completely out of a Fantastic Four context altogether. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's weird seeing it in its proper context because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're like, oh, oh, that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated that Kirby draws himself so short. Yes. I'm fascinated that he gives Stan his Mariner's eyebrows. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Don't yeah, forget it's, it's, that he presents them as Lincoln and Grant, which is kind of a weird like. That's not like part of it is, again, maybe it's just he's saying that Stanley is tall, but he's also 
not necessarily presenting them. They're, they're presented in opposition to each other in a lot of this. Now, maybe that's just, again, to give it a lot of visual pizzazz, but, uh, but it's a, but it, but it is, it's a little odd. Also, it's called "This Is a Plot," but they're not actually plotting a story. They're arguing about a character that they're creating together. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, so again, for some, for some reason, I remember this being a story about plotting. That title clearly mm-hmm. hoodwinked me. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's really strange? I always remember this being a longer story. It's only three pages long, and I always remember it being five. You know, it's funny. I remember it as being a longer story too. I wonder if there's some other story or Brandex story that we're not Brandex story that we're conflating it with that was sort of similar. But, but yeah, it is kind of weird that it's like it's there and then it's gone. So, um, but the, anyway, so some very very interesting stuff on that. And then um, I don't know. I'm basically done. I could talk about the the Silver Surfer th- uh, little backup story with Quasimodo. Um, I, I will only talk about it for two reasons. One, it is a Silver Surfer story that kind of sees him a little bit at odds with his later appearance uh, yes. in a few issues hence. That's right. Um, and also, but I, I feel I kind of feel we should save this until next episode, next time we do a Baxter building, because the you know the first two issues of that run are a Silver Surfer story, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it is so oddly at odds mm-hmm. that I think it'd be interesting to talk about. In, in that context. Uh, the other thing I would like to point out, though, is this is where Quasimodo from the previous Fantastic Four Annual gets a body, which he will then use to give the beast shit in the Explain the X-Men episode I just did. <laughs> it all comes together! <laughs> My goodness, Graham. Look at you. Well done. Well done. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Annual, f- annual 5 is... It's, I, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Part of it is that I think it's actually filled with great Kirby art. Even yeah. though the story is kind of slapdash and nonsensical. Yeah. But, you know, I really love the Psycho Man as a design. And I think that the art really sells it. Unlike the next few issues of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, 68. In fact, this entire run, 68 through 73, is amazingly disappointing. But in particular, 68 through 71, which is a four-part story, which, f- not for the first time, sees Ben betraying the team. Yes. Um, yeah. Is staggeringly perfunctory and it's it's yeah. fascinating to me that for this is really the first dip in quality since uh the inhumans were, were mm-hmm. introduced in the series mm-hmm. so we're talking like you know 20 issues of gold mm-hmm. right but the story just before the inhumans were introduced the last time this series was this bad quote-unquote was the earlier time that ben turned against the team and it took four issues to resolve yeah yeah I mean, that is one of the things that I find fascinating is there's a lot that, honestly, I think I liked this run 68 through 73 more than you did in some cases because I think the art's lovely and we'll get to the issues where clearly you were bored and I was not. But it is getting the idea that the wheels are starting to spin really starts is really believable here because you are seeing stuff. You have seen this story before several yeah, almost, times. Almost entirely. Yeah. Almost exactly. Yeah. Um, issue 68 is his mission, Destroy the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, it opens with Alicia in hospital healing from what has happened when she was kidnapped to uh, talk to him. 
Yes. So we're at this weird point where technically, as we'll find out later, Annual 5 happens between those two stories. Mm-hmm. But also, it doesn't, because you see Alicia up and about in Annual 5, and in this issue, she's in bed recovering from what happened in the previous issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's just be slightly confused about yes. where the annual falls and continuity here. Okay. Nonetheless, she is uh, in hospital and Ben goes through one of his periodic how can she love me? I'm just a monster. Why aren't you trying to heal me, Reed? Right. Uh, Which, interestingly enough, was sort of put a cap on only two issues previous in the middle of the hymn story where Ben gets pissed off runs off into the park and has 9 million people tell him that he love him and him thinking like, well, gee, maybe this is okay. After all, he comes back and is once again, like, you got to heal me up, Stretcho. Yeah. It, it's at the, at the same time, the story then cuts to uh, Dr. Santini, the world's leading chemist, mm-hmm. uh, who coincidentally is, is the person who is scheduled to meet with Reed to help him cure Ben. Yes. Uh, he's been kidnapped. Yes. By someone. But who? Do we know those eyebrows? <laughs> who can tell? Uh, it's a voice. The first I've heard. You know my name. How? There is virtually nothing which I do not know, he says. Is that a clue? <laughs> Spoilers. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> he does something with his hypno lenses, mm-hmm. which is uh, not entirely clear, uh, but it causes Santini to explain why he has come to America. Mm-hmm. We then cut back to Reed and Ben going through the scientific what would you say? Going through the hoops? Jumping through the hoops? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah. Spinning the wheels? Going through um, the motions, you know? Yes, going through the motions. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, to prepare for the, what, 72nd attempt to turn thing back into <laughs> Ben Grimm? Uh, Ben is understandably depressed, and so Reed, with characteristic Reed Richardsness, says, perhaps a little horseplay with Sue might do the trick. Oh my Reed, god. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because, no. However, it does it allow us to see Sue with her new miniskirt version of the yeah. Fantastic Four outfit, which I swear to god they should have kept. Especially yes. the next issue when they turn it from a miniskirt into essentially a tunic with pants underneath. Yes, where I think it's a coloring thing. I Okay, so here's the thing that I think is fascinating to me is, again, here is a whole classic sequence where I'm convinced Lee Stan is doing one thing and, because one of the big tip-offs is you have Reed Richards acting amazingly omniscient and telling you things that you don't see on panel. Uh and maybe it meaning to go somewhere else. Like, I'm sort of convinced that Kirby has this sequence of, here's Sue in a miniskirt. Reed says something like, whoa, no, you can't go out like that, young lady. I don't want anyone seeing you. She's like, but I'm invisible. He's like, but I'm going to cover you up anyway. Ben goes like, I want to see it. Blows Reed off of Sue. And then, you know, the next time you see him later, he starts laughing. Uh, and you realize his spirits have been lightened to the Stan Lee version where Reed Richards actually thinks the phrase, it's working, I can hear Ben beginning to chuckle behind me. Again, I have to say, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, you were at least able to capture some sequences in spirit. (laughs) 
So I, I once say I while I agree that I think Stan is uh making up his own version of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um I think on page six, I think Ben is sneezing. Oh, that could that would actually that would certainly make some sense. Yeah. I, I otherwise yeah. I'm now quite convinced by the he's just blowing him off. I think he might be sneezing and mm-hmm. blowing him off. Anyway, yeah. there's that scene. We then cut from that scene to Johnny visiting what seems to be the cast of Greece uh, <laughs> to check out the, the building of a hot rod and showing off Crystal and a spectacular illustration of why it's great that Stanley didn't continue to write books aimed at teens and teen romance. <laughs> hey, Johnny, how come you've been keeping a doll like that under wraps? Take it easy, Blackie. I hear you're really stuck in that gal. Relax, son. That walking matchstick doesn't worry me. <laughs> Holy shit. I can't help the tiger. I hate to see a pretty little lady disappointed. Yeah. It's all terrible. It's, it's all, all terrible. Terrible. It's all terrible. Yeah, completely. You can you can see again, I'm very much like, you know, they had to do like <laughs> Lee's working with what Kirby put on the page, but holy smokes is what he is what he coming up with. Awful. Um, so uh, if I can take over for, we cut back from that to uh, Ben finally sort of laughing over something, basically. Then we cut back. <laughs> something we're not sure about. Yeah, I'm just sort of like, uh, I got to hand it to you, Stretch. Susie, you sure know how to put Stretcho down when you want to. And, and of course, Reed being, you know, he who died for our stretchy, stretchy sins thinks, but it was all worth it. Ben is beginning to cheer up. Cut from that to mysterious dude uh, walking in on Santini. Um, again, Reed, uh, Stanley is not making the mystery villain particularly mysterious. What with him dropping lines like, my unstoppable androids, I have this down calculated to the last minute. Nonetheless, as you all know, Jeff has a particular hobby horse to ride. And that hobby horse is is that Kirby is continuing to neg Stanley um because once again you get to see a mysterious faceless person put on a wig, trim their mustache and continue to pervert the soul of Ben Grimm oh, from is, what Kirby intends it to be. It's the, that's the greatest scene ever. Page 10 might be the greatest page in all of these issues we're talking about. I know about. why you're going about this, too. Absolutely. Since I've already gained possession of my captive's knowledge, all that remains for me is to rob him of his face. I'll begin with the wig, a hair for hair replica. Absolutely perfect in every respect. That, by the way, is what Donald Trump says every morning before he puts on his hair. That's and right. due to his special composition, it cannot slip. I love that. Every last detail of my disguise has been checked and rechecked by the most sophisticated computers and analyzing devices known to man. Yeah. When I am finished, even Santini could not be sure which of us is the imposter. It is also relatively simple. Woman possesses special oh, yes. material, I know. such as this plastic organic nose, which I fashion of my own creation. You might think it's been great already. Stan's yeah. about to kick it up. Not just one notch, but two notches. Two Are notches. you ready, listeners? Mm-hmm. The, mustache, the mustache, of course, is my own. I love that so much. And rel- it's relatively simple to trim. Exactly like that of my helpless hostage. Okay, the mustache, of course, is my own. Wonderful. Yeah. The fact that it is a close-up of, spoilers, the mad thinker, uh, is trimming his mustache. Yeah. Extra wonderful. However, the next panel 
is the greatest. Mm -hmm. And now the job is done. The most difficult part was going on a crash diet to match Santini's weight. <laughs> Bear in mind, he's picked Santini up maybe a couple of hours before. Yes. At most. Yeah. That's one hell of a crash diet. I, I just love the idea that Stan Lee is like, oh, God, OK, I got to make this dramatic. So exactly. I've got this page to fill. And yeah. all, all Jack's given me is he's putting on a wig and then he puts on a nose and trims his mustache. Right. Exactly. What, what the hell am I, how am I going to fill this? Exactly. So it has and to become wonderfully mm -hmm, the most amazing, impressive set of, you know, uh, masquerade ever established, followed by. What Stanley, in his heart, knows is the most Herculean of tasks going on a crash diet. So I just, I really, all of that, I love. It's so, so. great. I, and I'm going to say it right now. The issue peaks with that page. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly could get through the rest of this in like a minute. <laughs> Once you get past that page, there's nothing else. Uh, the Mad Singer, as Santini, goes to meet the Fantastic Four uh, he meets the Fantastic Four. He manages to convince them that he is indeed Santini. He has lots of internal thoughts like, haha, the fools they don't realize. Yeah. He convinces uh, Mr. Fantastic they should work together. He tries to sabotage the experiments a few times. He doesn't yep. get away with it. Meanwhile, the thing is like, I'm going to turn back into Ben Grimm. This is great. I'm so excited. He continues to try and sabotage the experiments. It doesn't work until it does at the last page. And you turn out that not only has Ben Grimm not been turned back into normal Ben Grimm, he is somehow... God knows how, being turned evil by a magic ray, the yeah. end. The end. Yeah. Oh, also, we should point out, in this whole issue, you don't find out who's the mad thinker. That is true. That is absolutely that, that, true. That does not happen at all in this mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. By page 20, the final page of the story, uh, the thing has been turned against Reed, uh, ostensibly because he's mad that he is not Ben Grimm, but you'll later find out he's like been brain zapped, pretty much like he was last time he turned against the team. Yes. You might remember that story. It was called The Betrayal of Ben Grimm. This issue ends with, Next, by Ben Betrayed. <laughs> it's like they're trying to play up the fact that they've done this story before. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Total. I mean, it is. I think there there's a little bit of... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Or they're just they're just not paying attention. Or who knows? You know, back in the day, it very much is that case of <sighs> we're used to comic book readers being in there for the long haul. <laughs> no matter how much the comic book companies try and shake them off, we still continue to follow books or characters or but back back in the day it was believed it could, it could have been a whole new range of readers. Yeah, yeah you are, you're it, the, like you're two years later. It could yeah. be a whole bunch bunch of readers. You're assuming that a whole bunch of people have cycled out and new people have cycled back in and you're aware that this is this is a hit. This is this is a this is a tune that works for you. Let's do it. Again, part of me is like kind of convinced that subtextually Kirby is Kirby's checked out or checking out. I I think he is checking out. I think there's again there's that statement of well we'll we'll get to it especially with interestingly enough of all places issue seventy three, but yeah he is checking out and so let's continue to speed through these issues because they yes. don't really deserve a lot of attention. I, issue sixty nine so. is called by Ben betrayed mm -hmm. as they promise and. 
if you remember the last time Ben Grimm turned against the Fantastic Four, it's not a million miles different. No. There are a couple of things I do want to point out, one of which is in the previous issue, you'll remember a lot was made out of the fact that the Mad Thinker in disguise had to trim his moustache. You discover why in this issue, because his moustache is considerably bigger than the last issue already. By the time you get to page six as well, mm-hmm. his moustache is considerably bigger than it is in page one. <laughs> and despite the fact that they went to great lengths to tell you that it's his own mustache, when on page seven he actually reveals himself to be the mad thinker, he has no mustache. No, but he says, one blast of my special Dissolve X gas will obliterate all my plastic makeup as <laughs> well as the second part of that. Massage. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. He's got special gas that will dissolve yes. his wig yeah. and his real moustache, yeah. but leave his own hair fine and his own eyebrows. Yeah, and let me tell you, he really should have gone the other way around because out of the number no, of people seriously, who have a terrible hair, I think if he invents that, he should have marketed that shit. Like, that's imagine, right. Imagine yeah. you didn't have to shave in the morning. You just sprayed yeah. yourself with dissolve X gas. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Madger was not thinking. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yep. Uh, ben Grimm is out and out evil. He has decided that he's going to kill ben, uh, Reed Richards for not turning into uh, Ben Grimm. Just like he did last time. That's right. There's, there's a fight across town that is... Uh, Dull. I mean, this is really just a dull, dull story. The yeah. most interesting thing is page 15, where, for no reason whatsoever, we have a King Kong riff. Yes, the King Kong riff, exactly. That's so funny. It ben ben climbs to the top of a building and mm-hmm. fights off planes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Pretty much just for the fact that I feel like that is something that Kirby likes and fits in. Yeah, there. I, I feel like Kirby maybe saw King Kong in television or something. That, yeah. That, yeah, uh, uh, but yeah. It, it's utterly, it's it's a, a, an utterly sort of pointless, meaningless issue. There's one thing worth pointing out at the very end, which is so we as readers find out that uh, Santini is actually the mad thinker uh, yes. back on page ten. Mm-hmm. Um, Reed, because it's a Stanley comic, uh, Reed deduces it out of nowhere. Yes, on page nineteen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, hey, what does, he, what does he actually say? I've been racking my brain. I think I found the key. Santini is responsible for all this, but the real Santini would have no motive. He's beyond reproach. Uh, he then says he has, he has the answer to who the fake Santini is. His preoccupation with computers, his detailed, seemingly foolproof plan, his knowledge of scientific programming, his complex yet brilliantly executed moves, <laughs> it all adds up to one diabolically dangerous figure. Captain. If I give you his last known list of hideouts, will you order an immediate city-wide search of the Mad Thinker? Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Um, it once again, Reed is just going out on a limb to impress his true love, the New York Police Force. Now, I I have to say, I can see the reader. No, no, no. It's all. It's always about. Oh, the police commissioner wants this. Ooh, captain of the police. Oh, Reed. Now, I have to say again. This is my classic, like, let me second guess, Stanley second guessing Jack Kirby. But I uh, love sort of the logic and the idea to me, it seems is very clear that the mad thinker has calculated everything, has won everything, goes into the negative, the doorway to the negative zone, sees the entrance to it. And in the course of like looking at it now, the way Lee scripts it, 
the mad thinker says the negative zone, the one thing my computers could not predict, the one extra factor, but everything else is gone. According to my computations, there was a 99.68% possibility that the thing has finished Reed Richards by now. And yet I must not discount the 0.32% possibility of an upset. If Reed Richards survived, he is certain to guess my real identity, in which case it won't take him long to find where I've imprisoned Santini. That means I've got to return as soon as possible and dispose of the living evidence. The negative zone will have to wait until I've made certain to cover all my tracks. To which I'm like, what? Like, in theory... (laughs) To which you're like, bullshit. Yes, it is utter, utter shit. What I love, and again, this is, to me, Kirby using... Kirby's logic, the mad thinker is entirely this this being of reason, but also in a, in a kind of obsessive compulsive way. He comes across the negative zone, which when you look at the the look on his face when he discovers it back on page uh, 10 is kind of horrified and awestruck of the negative zone. I think it's very clear to Kirby that he's like the negative zone was not what the mad thinker was expecting to find. It basically seeing the existence of it more or less makes him throw, throw out all of his calculations. He's now more or less like, well, this changes everything. I'm yeah, really, he, he gets, he gets freaked out and he runs off. Yeah. He's like, I, this, I hadn't, I hadn't planned for this. I have to get back because literally this is, you know, my, my calculations are all screwed up. I think that's very elegant. The fact that that Lee decides to go with a different direction with that makes it kind of be extra special. Like what? So, but also makes the Mad Thinker look like a moron. Well, yes. Every every time Lee has the Mad Thinker go, my plan was ninety nine point you know seven two percent going to work. If only there you know there's a point two eight percent that it will get fucked up, and it always gets fucked up. Yeah. Eventually, you're like, Mad Thinker, you were just a cut-rate guy who put together, like, 538. <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, whoa, you, can't get a, you can't get a job at Fox, oh, and that's why you're a super villain. Wow, weird Nate Silverslam. Interesting. Nate Silver. I, couldn't remember. I was like, is his name Nate Powell? <laughs> <laughs> Nate wow. Silver. Do you know what I mean? Like, he comes across as, like, a shitty Nate Silver. Yeah, no, he, to- he totally does. Actually, the thing that I think is also great is unlike all these other situations where it's like, oh, I could not have predicted my 0.30222% has happened. Here he's literally like, but what if it does happen? I should go back and like cover things up. I'm like, I, I, you I should, idiot. I up. None of those stats have changed. <laughs> like, why would you change course halfway? You're literally, plus, listen to yourself. If you I'm literally right believe here. that's the percentage. I am about, I am about to win what if i'm not yes i can check i put off the kettle Come what should happen <laughs> fantastic for issue 70 because we are speeding through these because i swear to god these are not worth paying attention to no Virgin. it's totally true are the fabulous ff truly defeated at last when fall the mighty yes spoilers they'll all fall by the end of the issue but not in the way you expect. It begins nice. with the Fantastic Four going to the Mad Thinker's hideout. Strangely enough, the one they select to go after is the one where he is. Who, yep. who could have seen that coming? Meanwhile, yes. Ben Grimm is just out being a dick and destroying cars because he is now evil. Yes. That's just what happens. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Sue is like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. 
I know that I know that happened earlier on, but I've never mentioned it before. But I'm pregnant. Maybe I should go and sit down. And yeah. Crystal is like, "Sure, I'll help you sit down." Instead of going, "I have superpowers myself. Maybe I should get involved." Yeah. Feminism. Yeah. Um, the Mad Thinker uh, confronts the Fantastic Four, who at this point are the Fantastic Two, because it's just reading John. Uh, yeah, reading Johnny. Yeah. And the police force. The thing goes to confront them. There is a kerfuffle. There yeah. is a fight. Reed wins. Reed socks mm-hmm. the Mad Thinker. Because, get this, people, thinking's fine, but if you've got passion in your heart yeah. and a good right hook, mm-hmm. you're going to win. And yeah. that is truly a moment of Kirby plotting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, Although it is yeah. interesting, it is one of the things that I find amazing along these. And like you said, they're really not worth mentioning apart from <laughs> we've gotten ridiculously late. But there's also a little bit of like, huh, this is it's slowly the Fantastic Four is becoming the book that regrettably I feel like Stanley wants it to be rather than the book that it was in a way. So this whole thing, like it is very hard to read this and not have it be like, Oh, the fantastic four is the Reed Richards book. You know, Reed is the hero. He's the hero's hero, especially at this point. Also, I do have to say with when fall the mighty, I love the splash page with the Android being like danger, things approaching, B, I think there's a compelling argument that Kirby is checked out because the whereas you have the Psycho Man, that's one of the most interesting designs Kirby has ever done. The Android, oh, there's, there's nothing to the design. Is literally generic. It is amazing. It's it's, it's yeah. It there there is literally nothing to it. Yeah, there are it, there are no features. There is there is. It's a it's a body. It's a yeah. body with a slightly pointy head. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so the defeats the thinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ben is still out there, and Ben's a monster, and holy shit, trouble, Ben. Oh, what you going to do? That's right. Um, ben and Reed and Johnny have a big fight. The Mad Thinker in prison activates another awesome android mm. to take them all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed zaps Ben with <laughs> his mental wave unit because he had that ready all along because he's not trying to work on it. He's had it ready all along. Never thought to use it until now. Yeah. Um, he zaps Ben. Ben collapses. In fact, everyone has collapsed yeah. because of plot logic. Uh, Sue comes and finds them all collapsed just as the android comes in yes. and she thinks Ben is dead. Next That's issue. Right. And so it ends not soon enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually had written in my notes, oh, if only. Before we move on, let's say, I have to say, Kirby has done a number of amazing and astonishing full-page splashes. Uh, page 19, <laughs> 19? of this yeah, issue. It's not one of them. No, it is the, it is, I was like, Kirby did that? Really? Like, honestly, it looks like, you know, Rich Buckler's tryout art. The only way where I'm like, okay, the anatomy is truly bad in a way that rushed Kirby might actually be, but holy shit, Graham, that was amazing. Also, one of the things that I thought was great for me is as we move into issue 71 is reading issue 70. And again, following on the heels of annual five, we have not had the FF altogether in the F as as the Fantastic Four. We keep calling them the Fantastic Four, but it's groups of two and three. And reading through issue 70 in particular, I was like, Jesus Christ, do I miss Sue Storm? So it was pretty yeah, great. 
her getting sidelined because of the pregnancy yeah really hurts the book hugely hugely it becomes a markedly uh less interesting book to me you know even well, but at this point it's also markedly less interesting because it's something i didn't realize until i think i got to issue 72 mm -hmm. but there's no subplots in these issues uh, yeah that's like actually for a, a good long point time mm -hmm. you've mm -hmm. had the A plots and a B plot and the B plot very often would literally be we are the Inhumans we are here oh yeah. someone's found us or even before that how are we ever going to get out of the Great Refuge mm -hmm. but there's been a subplot yes and in these issues there's not yeah it yeah. is all A plot mm -hmm. and that's another reason why I think you can tell that Kirby as plotter has checked out yeah he's is pretty he's much just like oh whatever yeah yeah, I'm just still in 20 pages. Yeah. Whatever. Like, yeah. sure, there's a rampage. There's a fight scene. Right. What, whatever I need to do. Yeah. It is amazingly... <sighs> well, I mean, again, what? part of it is... I mean, it, it's amazingly... Yeah. There's, there's so, so little there. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Kirby is becoming disillusioned either, you know, behind behind the scenes with stuff. And, and whether it's a matter of, again, just these stories that... He had been promised a lot of extra things by Martin Goodman in order to remain on. And admittedly, he's going to be here for a few more years before he finally gets fed up. But, you know, he definitely at a certain point cranks things down. And again, he's still being second guessed. Like you said, the miniskirt on Sue looks great. He, but once it becomes this weird tunicky thing, it's kind of strange. And I don't think that that was necessarily what Kirby was intended. I think he was, he, in his mind, he's like, he's got some other thing of like in the back of his brain. He's like, Hey, you know what? Sue's pregnant, but she's actually going to like try and show off her legs or, you know, whatever's going on with him. He's thinking of the psychology. I just feel that his sense of like, why should I continue to try so hard? It's not like it's actively being frustrated. All that said, Issue 71, I'm really happy to see Sue come back after a long time. And frankly, she continues to fight. It's when we actually have her, the fourth member of the team, come that the tide of the battle changes. Although, again, even though Lee does some horrible, shitty fucking things, as far as I'm concerned, with scripting choices to depower Sue. Like, Sue, at one point, grabs... The electro electroforce beam hits the android, but she goes, it's generated too much power. It's crackling throughout the entire lab. It's hitting Ben like a sudden lightning blast. It's affected all of us, even Johnny. But it was a stroke of luck. It's reviving them all. If it had been Reed pulling the trigger on that, there would be oh, no he, he stroke it. of luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, what then happens is you have... Sue, grab Reed, try and pull him away with a really cool graphic of the android turning on his radar face to track her down. Reed wakes up, according to Stan, in time to tell her things to like, you saved us, take cover, the radar thing, it's coming for you, and then he passes out again. All... And she says, if Reed hadn't warned me in time, yeah, he'd have had Exactly. A real dick move that, again, I really feel is not anywhere in Kirby's visual plotting and gets added entirely for, as part of Stan scripting. Um, uh, I also want to add, I do love on page five, the panel of the revived Ben looking unbelievably sinister. Like, just yes, a really it's wonderful, right? Because you do have that piece. moment of like, is, is he still evil? 
Yeah, he's got to still be evil. I mean, it's that classic fake out, but Kirby and Sinnott, it says a lot that they can deliver so much nuance in Ben Grimm's face by that point. That was just great. So he is, he is not evil. Spoilers, everyone. He yeah. uh, the the mental ray of the previous issue worked. He's completely fine. He rallies. He punches the android out, mm-hmm. giving them enough of a breather for the rest of the team to wake up, think that he is still evil, and attack him. Yes. Everyone realizes that that's not the case. Yep. Everyone's very happy until the android comes back, and there's more fight scene. Yes. It's very rote. It there's there's not really any uh, twist that, mm-hmm. that you have pretty much come to expect from the plot by this point. Yeah. Everything happens the way you expect it to happen. Yes. Well, or unless you get Stan sort of muddling things up where he ends one scene to give it some juice being like, oh, honey, a, ho- a fall could never kill a lifeless android, which, again, based on the law of physics, not necessarily true. I mean, kill, sure, but you know what? But then somehow he has to be surprised when the android comes back, despite him literally saying that it was impossible that they were finished with him. So, yeah, it, it is hilarious. He's like, she goes, read that explosion. What was it? He goes, I don't know, dear, but it can only mean new danger. You really don't know? Because literally two pages ago, you were just saying yeah. that android's still going to be around. Exactly. Now, again, everything is perfunctory. By the time you get to the end of it, where Reed, you know, risks his life and throws up in the portal to like, hurl the android into the negative zone you're like oh just like the other times this has happened um you're well, like but yeah. to be fair how, that's the first time he's done this right in, in chronology i don't uh, think anyone else has been abandoned in the negative zone before yeah, we've yeah, had yeah, guys yeah. come out of the negative zone we've never had anyone go into the no, negative no 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 i think he hurdles someone back into the negative zone doesn't he it's that whole I could no, have sworn. We've, only, we've only seen the negative zone twice by this point. We've seen it when Reed fell in, and we've seen it when Blaster came out. Yes. How do they get rid of Blaster? They don't throw him they, back they in just there? Stick, no, they just stick his hat on, remember? Oh, yeah, that, that there you go. Because that took care of the pressure. So this is the first time that he does throw someone into the negative zone. Okay, together. all right. I'm, you it know is, what it is? Uh, I'm getting it confused with Doctor Doom falling into the microverse or something, which I rem- yeah. you know, which also has a similar kind of, he trips, falls into a machine, and you see a shot of someone falling into a void. Yes, um, yeah. And so, yeah, it, to me, it was like, eh, although I have to say, I got the only thing I think I really loved about this issue, apart from Sue coming back and kicking ass, uh, is, is Stan's uh, dialogue balloon eternally lost in the endless reaches of an anti-universe. Like that. Everything about the page, everything about page 17, I really like. Yeah. I really like the, the, the art on, on the first two panels in particular. Yes. But the line, eternally lost in the endless reaches of an anti-universe. You know, that's that should be the title of someone's autobiography, Jeff. <laughs> well, there's still time, Graham. There's still time. Like you I'm just saying, if, if you're calling wants... dibs, I'm willing to cede the ground to you. Definitely. Okay, we're good. All right. Um But that that is pretty much the end of the story. Uh yeah. well it's not true. There's an epilogue where Reed decides this is all too dangerous for Sue. She's just a woman and she's pregnant too. That's why uh, I roofied so her. Yeah. They are they're leaving the Fantastic Four. Done. Done. Yeah. Oh, if only. Yeah. Now, I kind of liked Where Soars the Silver Surfer. I, I get the sense that uh, you did not. I, I liked it. I liked a lot of it, but I didn't really like it because here's my secret shame. I don't really like the Silver Surfer. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Right? Yeah. But it's true. I realized that reading this issue. Mm-hmm. The Silver Surfer is 
brings out, I think, the worst in Lee. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, almost definitely. And a lot of... He doesn't really... Kirby doesn't really do anything worthwhile with him either. Well, it's arguable to say that he brings out the worst in Kirby. Because Kirby, given his druthers, will set up a situation and then pull out a deus ex machina out of, you know, somebody's butt. Or, you know, usually out of Reed's gadget lab. The Silver Surfer is arguably nothing but deus ex machinas. His power can do whatever it wants, whenever he wants it to, at whatever level they want it at, uh, until... Until it doesn't, and it's time for him to get yeah. defeated again. Which is what's really... There's two things very interesting about Weir Source and Silver Surfer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's three. First of all, I love the opening sequence with mm-hmm. Crystal, Johnny, and Ben basically feeling sorry for themselves and kibitzing. Yeah. And for my money, it really seemed right there that they were going to just add Crystal to the team and add another member and have a new Fantastic Four. Yeah. Uh, which would have been great. I would yeah. have been very, very excited to have they done that. Yeah. Um, so that's thing number one. Okay. Thing number Just out of curiosity, two, yeah. if the fourth member of the team had been the Silver Surfer, would would that have been okay with you? I mean, or not? Because you don't like honestly, the character I much. would prefer the Black Panther, but mm-hmm. of everyone available, then sure, I would have taken Silver Surfer. Well, that's okay. So that's thing number two that's really interesting to me about this issue, right. which is it makes a point of depowering the Silver Surfer. Yes. So the the rough overview of the plot, people, is Silver Surfer has decided, as a result of what happened with Doctor Doom, interestingly enough, that fuck humanity. Mm-hmm. And he is going to cause an apocalyptic event to shock humanity back to its senses. In doing so, he, unsurprisingly, comes into conflict with the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Uh, or really, Johnny and Ben, because mm-hmm. Reed and Sue have left. Reed is pulled back by the Watcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Reed gets involved and they uh, they don't really solve anything as much as the army launches a mysterious missile against the Silver Surfer which is powered by cosmic rays which is going to kill him and yes. they deflect the missile Yeah, uh, the missile destroys itself in orbit but we discover that it has depowered the Silver Surfer and taken the majority of the power cosmic away from him and that's the end of the issue, mm-hmm. which does seem to set up that he might join the team, especially because the first page of this issue mm-hmm. has the characters talk about the fact that they don't have a Fantastic Four anymore. And the caption says, don't worry, Johnny, your problem will soon be solved. Yes. Suggesting again that the Silver Surfer is about to join the team. Yeah. But he doesn't. He's yeah. actually absent entirely from the next issue. And mm-hmm. when you see him again after that, there's, there's no talk of it. So there, there is a sense of, did they just change their mind? Or, you know, was it a weird fake out? Is, am I reading into it? Well, I mean, it is that weird. What happens is, is then it's the idea is that Reed is back and Sue's kind of in the vicinity. But I, so I think it's possible that it was a fake out. I honestly think that it's one of those situations where people are thinking, in a few different ways. Like, because all throughout, there is a lot of this stuff, despite, how do I put it? There's a point around issue 50 or whatever where it becomes apparent that Stan has switched his idea, as as uh, I think Sean Howe points out in the Marvel Comics The Untold story, that at some point Stan comes around to the idea that comics are supposed to represent the illusion of change, not actual change. So there's small stuff like the getting married and, and Sue getting pregnant, but the idea that Reed and Sue would actually lead 
the team as a result of which and change up the dynamic is literally impossible. I do think, I know you don't, I, I know why you would prefer the Black Panther. And of course, I love the Black Panther character, but I think the Silver Surfer, by having... By having a situation where it's the Silver Surfer, Crystal, who's an inhuman, Ben, who, of course, you know, is a, a sort of semi-unreliable hero, and Johnny Storm, you really get a more misfitty uh, set of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, um, I, which would be great. I, yeah. I would be I, – especially with this creative team, I'd love to read that. Yeah, and I, and I think they – and what's all has their motivations. It's interesting to me uh, – the one thing I want to point out about the issue, I do kind of like the idea that uh, the Silver Surfer is basically – deciding to pull the Watchmen plot, that he is going to turn himself into a villain and destroy the planet in to make humanity come together against him. I thought that was kind of interesting. But more to the sense, when you said you don't like the Silver Surfer, I'm like, oh, of course, I know why you don't like the Silver Surfer, Graham, because you love Superman, you know? And Superman and the Silver Surfer are like the same character, but separated at birth. You know, you know that. Um, really? Yeah. You know, you know how you know how the monkeys. You know the the experiment with those poor, 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 sad monkeys. Where no, but when you said the monkeys, I honestly thought you meant the band. No, not the band, which you deeply adore. No, sorry, not not the pop experiment with the monkeys. The scientific experiment where they took the baby monkeys and they gave them to the wire mothers instead of the actual. Uh, I've never heard of this. Never. It's a very depressing story where uh, essentially you take these monkeys and you take them away from their mothers and you give them nutrients and even a certain fur to cuddle. But it's basically instead of having a mother, they have the wire mothers, which are these wire frame things with like the milk bottles and the monkey fur, but give them no affection whatsoever. And so the monkeys end up growing up unsurprisingly, miserable and fucked up. This is the difference between Superman and Silver Surfer. They're both aliens that end up on this planet that have unbelievable godlike powers. But where Superman came to Earth as a child, was adopted by a family, learned love and the human sort of all-American values, and therefore sort of becomes the um, sort of highest epitome of 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 human realization the silver surfer is an alien who comes to earth more or less is forced to abandon it but because he's not a child because he has no family and is basically alone and alienated he's basically like one of those monkeys he never can fit into the society he's always trying to under, he's always misunderstanding humanity and humanity's always misunderstanding him, which is an element that I feel that like later Superman stories try to adopt when they're in the process of misunderstanding Superman. So. Hmm. I'm imagine. not sure if I'm convinced by that train of thoughts, but it's definitely an interesting one. <laughs> well, let's move the, on to. Yes. Well, or? no, the third thing, third thing yeah. I want to talk about issue oh, seventy-two very quickly is yes. on page thirteen. The the watcher making a very explicit Jesus reference. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, I wrote that down. Right. That's what can you do against one. the all-powerful Silver Surfer? All-powerful says the watcher. There's only one who deserves that name, and his only weapon is love. <laughs> What the fuck? I literally wrote down, oh, Stan, next to that. Like, honestly, I'm like, 
That is an amazing, amazing, I don't know, that Stan in his Messiah, hippie Messiah phase, which is amazing. I prefer to actually uh, obsess on the awesome embroidery on the back of the Watcher's cowl, which I've never seen before. I don't know if you ever see it again. I don't know if they're merit badges. I don't know if his mother put them on there. Oh my God, the merit badges of the Watcher. I am on board for that miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know he's dead him. right now, but maybe in all new, all different Marvel, they'll bring him back. Yeah. Let's be honest, everyone. Killing for the Watcher was a really dumb move. Yeah, it was a terrible, terrible move. Just needless. not in line with it. Yeah, yeah, really. Talking about Needless, Fantastic Four issue 73. <laughs> okay, here's where you and I are going to separate. Because on the one hand, 73, the flames of battle in which the three members of the Fantastic Four um, end up fighting Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Thor for no particular reason in a story that is so clumsily done that the Fantastic Four seem to think that that Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Thor are doom bots, or it's rather robot no, 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 no. duplicates they, they, they created by Dr. Doom. Spider-Man and Thor are. They think yes. that Daredevil... Is Daredevil's body possessed by Doctor Doom? Because okay. this is a part three of a story continuing from the Daredevil story uh, yes. series. And did you read the Daredevil stories? No, I was going to look them up oh, and read them on Marvel people, Unlimited. But if you're reading along, yeah. they are in Marvel Unlimited. You have to read them because issue 38, this follows on from explicitly, is hilarious. Oh, yeah? Why? Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's great because it explains how Doom survived when we last saw him in Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. You might remember the last time we saw Doom in Fantastic Four, he was he had taken possession of the Paracosmic, and he went into the stratosphere and w- was basically left with exposition of, well, he'll get defeated because the Silver Surfer is uh, forced to live here by that's Galactus. Right. The yeah. same thing will take off. So in Daredevil issue 38, he's like, yeah, that's not true. Oh, like, wow. why would th- why would that be true? Galactus mm-hmm. popped up because he had an alarm. He was like, you're not the Silver Surfer. And then that was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which makes total sense. Wow, that's great. Um, which which is great. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I lost the power of cosmic, but I was fine. Because like, why would I be held by something that someone had done for someone else? Mm-hmm. That that doesn't make sense. Which is lovely because it didn't make sense. Um, the plot of Daredevil thirty eight is literally: I have captured Daredevil. I'm going to swap my brain with him. <laughs> he does swap brains. Daredevil. Manages to go to get trick, you know, Doom Devil back into the position to swap back. But the best part is, Doctor Doom and Daredevil's body is pretty much like, that's fine. I should probably get back to Latvia anyway. And like, <laughs> but shit. That's honestly the plot, Jeff. <laughs> but the best part is this. He then, after Daredevil like, swings out at the end, what sets up this issue is Doctor Doom calls the Fantastic Four and is like, you guys, I'm Daredevil. Yes, I'm, yeah. you've got to, like Daredevil's body. It's Doctor Doom. You've you've got to just fuck him up, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's set off the cliffhanger. The Doctor Doom hilariously is just like, I'm just going to call up the Fantastic Four and say that I'm him. Yep. Yeah, that's just to hilarious. fuck with him. Just to fuck with him. So See, it's a very funny comic. It's, yeah, yeah, that sounds Daredevil hilarious. Thirty-eight is sadly the most enjoyable of these issues, and it's not even a Fantastic Four. Oh issue. man, I should have read it. So. Uh, so in this one, we get situations where people seem to think that these are robots, like you said, sorry, Thor and Spider-Man are, despite the fact that Ben, at one point, after clobbering Thor, says, 
I just remember he said he lost his powers. Nuts. It's like him beating plain Ben Grimm. So either Ben does not believe that Thor's a robot, keeps forgetting that Thor's a robot, or Stan can't remember his own plot points. No, no. But ben thinks that Thor's a robot who's lost his powers. Okay, that's ridiculous. Obviously. Yeah, thank you, Graham. <laughs> thank you. Now, Obviously. I think that this, despite being the kind of thing that where like Stan's like, yeah, we got to do this. It's going to be the sort of thing that, uh, that, you know, all the Marvel lights are going to love. We're going to show Thor and Ben Grimm punching it out. There's a number of sequences where, again, Kirby and Lee are not even lightly in sync. But I have to say, I sort of wonder, again, in the interest of giving this issue too much credit, um... I sometimes wonder if here you've got an issue by Kirby about essentially he's a guy who has become the cornerstone of the Marvel house style. You get everyone being told to draw like him, to make their art look like him. And at the core of this issue again and again, and again, is this thing of like, if I basically, if I, if someone looks like you how can you convince them that you know how can you know whether they're them you're you or not like daredevil keeps saying and i know it's stan scripting like how can i convince you that i'm actually me and he keeps trying to do these various things and i think at the core of it there is a little bit it's interesting for me to see kirby do such a disposable issue with so many characters and including thor whom he's close to and it's literally about you know not being able to tell who someone actually is once their style is completely mimicked, you know, like just the doubt in it, it, everything falls apart. So that's my interpretation of it. It seems ridiculous considering it's continuing on from a daredevil story that I'm sure that Kirby had no part of, but, um, you know, and it's probably just people slapping people around, uh, as far as Kirby's concerned. It, it is for me, like the closest that Lee and Kirby ever comes to a villain issue. Yeah, it really it's, is it's, just it's, cranking it out, kind of. Yeah, you know? there, there's nothing here. Mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. there are the occasional nice panels, but overall it's not even a particularly strong issue art-wise. No. I find uh, the constant and yet obvious redrawing of Spider-Man hilarious. Mm -hmm. Someone is clearly ghosting Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, also, I love that with a few exceptions. Spider-Man never has his uh, chest insignia. Oh, interesting. Which interesting. is kind of hilarious to me as well. But um, yeah, it's it's a very disposable issue. The one thing I do like is mm -hmm. that Sue is, again, the one who steps in and, and solves the problem. Yes, right. Uh, she basically stops all the fights by being like, you guys, mm -hmm. Dr. Doom's back in Latveria. Yeah. None, like, Daredevil's not Dr. Doom. You guys are just fighting. Fucking stop it. Yes. And it's very, I'm sure it's subconscious, but it's very telling to me that Sue is the adult. Yeah. Sue is the one who comes in and tells the boys to stop fighting. Yeah. But it, overall, as a story, it's, it's just throwaway. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really bad. Uh, you know, there's a point where I think Thor disappears from the issue. You know, well, it's because uh, this issue takes place in between pages of Thor 150. Yes, yeah, 
like it starts with Thor recovering from the start of Thor 150 and he disappears by the end of the issue because he's got to go and finish Thor 150. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, but I mean like the situation where I think Ben punches Thor and I believe according to Kirby, Kirby's panels, Thor disappears and Ben is like, hey, what happened to him? But according to Lee, yeah. he, he's still standing like nothing happened and he looks as surprised as I am. It would be great if we could see that. We don't yeah. see Ben. Yeah, and it's it's a way of the setup for Sue coming in with her invisible force field of breaking up the fights. But considering, but it but it really isn't. So, you know, again, some cross purposes. At least that one sort of makes sense to me why Kirby by Lee did it. But, whew, yeah, like you said, it feels like a fill-in issue, and it's sad that it is such a fill-in issue that is such a such a give the fans what they want. You know? Yeah, that, uh, and it's it's a very odd off issue. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's in many ways, not only doesn't feel like Kirby. Yeah. In, in terms of plot. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, I could be wrong, but I think it's also another issue where there's absolutely no subplot. Yeah. yeah. There's no subplot whatsoever. It's right. literally just story starts and then moves linearly fr- forward from there. Yeah. But it doesn't even particularly feel like Lee. Like mm-hmm. neither of them, they yeah. both seem to be calling it in. Neither of them seem to be particularly engaged in it. Yeah. Uh, but it does have the weirdest ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you find this ending too mushy, believer, remember, our costume converters are men first and superheroes second. In fact, aren't we all? No, I'm not a superhero at all, Stan. Sorry. Also, a lot of your readers aren't men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although although you're working hard to change that, Stan. You're working very, very hard. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really odd run of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, what's funny is, I know that you read forward from this as well, and so did I. Yes. And I think almost immediately after this, it begins to find its feet again. I It, it doesn't come up. It, it will yeah. never come back to the, the same levels that we've just left. Yes. Like, we're never going to get to... We're not even going to get back to... Uh, the him level, never yes. mind Galactus or, or or the Inhumans, right? Uh, but I would say that seventy four and seventy five are at least back to the the issue, uh, this like the Sandman issues during that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, they definitely move back up to the realm of compulsively readable, and I think there is something to be said for the idea that. Um, you know, if you're going to do a four-issue story, uh, it makes sense to have Silver Surfer and Galactus involved again. You know what I mean? Like, the return of Galactus hollering for the, re- the Silver Surfer to come back as his herald and Silver Surfer basically being like, no way, is it's an, it's an interesting episode. Now, that being said, there are things that we're going to have to discuss where I'm like, again, I feel like Kirby's dissatisfied because you end up with supervillains that are literally blob of purple wearing a hat of green. But um, well, it's it's worth pointing out that we have we've passed the point of new concepts in this run. Oh, very much so. Yeah, like it, like that's done, you guys. Yeah. I hope you really like Doctor Doom, Galactus, Silver Surfer, and then humans because you're getting a bunch of them in the future. You're going to get a bunch of them, exactly. But again, it's that idea of like, okay, and now here's a new henchman. Kirby is literally like bringing is not bringing his a game to it anymore. So, but yeah, but at the same, but by the same token, just in terms of a 
the stakes feeling bigger and more gripping and justifiably so. Yeah, I, I found myself, I think I'm up to, I was, <laughs> when you and I like were swapping emails, I'm like, Jesus, when are we supposed to stop? I'm, this is issue 77 and it's, I'm halfway through and it's still going on, you know, so. And I was like, yeah, it's issue 73, Jeff. Yeah, there was a reason why we, we <laughs> stopped and we stopped. <laughs> See, I was like. It's true, but it's true because it does, 74 sort of runs through to like 80 or something. Mm-hmm. It's really, really strange. Yeah, but yeah, this this is this was not only a low point, but also like one of the lowest for the series so far. In large part because it has raised our expectations so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, can I agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, even right up through to the strangeness of the him stuff, because I think, I think of the two of us, I was a little more dubious about some of the post 55 pre 65 stuff you know i think you were you know i think you had a better more realistic take on it but you're still a a fan whereas i was like i don't know but but yeah it was still the highs were still pretty intoxicatingly high and this is the first time where we had a batch of stuff where i was like Oh wow! Look at the Silver Surfer fuck shit up. You would think that would have some repercussions, you know? Yeah, kind of right. Thing. Yeah. Where you're like, this should be better, which mm-hmm. is the feeling throughout all of it. All yeah. of this should be better. Yeah, completely, completely. You know, and and as you pointed out, like we have, you know, we saw by Ben portrayed, you know, as the betrayal of Ben Grimm. It gets it. The variation is about that slender. You know, it's like, oh, uh, I'll change, I'll change that, you know, verb tense and uh, flop around some words, and we're ready to go. It's it's ready yeah. to get shipped out. And that's out. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of amazing. It it really is a very very weak run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time, listeners, we are going to be doing the issues that I am promising are slightly better than these ones. We're going to be doing issues seventy four through eighty one. Mm-hmm. Those are the issues that we will be handling next time, Jeff. I would like you to make note of that so you don't read it. I'm writing it down now, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Issue 74 through 81, uh, which finally see someone step in for Sue uh, and take over the team so that they can finally become a Fantastic Four again. For the first time in a long time. Yeah, a surprisingly long time. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's it. Uh, You know, I... Do we have a do we have like a really established sign off on this, Graham? Well, normally we tell people where they can find us. I think we should do that. I think we should do that. <laughs> you can find us on the internet at waitwhatpodcast.com where there's going to be show notes for this episode, including examples of the art that we've been talking about and mm-hmm. links to various things, especially if Jeff remembers where he found that Kirby thing. Yes. Um you can also find us on Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. You can find us on Twitter, at waitwhatpodcasts. You can find Jeff on Twitter, at lazybastid, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. You can find me on Twitter, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a podcast that is happily and eagerly and welcomely supported by Patreon. Baxter Building, in particular, exists because of Patreon supporters, like the the wonderful people who are doing so right now. You can find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. Right. And other than that, we don't have a regular sign-off. Jeff, would you like to have a, a regular sign-off now? Maybe you could sing us a song. Uh, I was going to say, we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building. Oh, look at you! Right? Right? I like that. <laughs>
Oh, you've been thinking about that one. How long have you had that in your back pocket? Not long enough, considering we've been doing this thing for like eight months now, and I just now came to it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. Say it again so we can actually end. Ah, okay. We'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.